0: Take a look on back a few decades
1: past to a simpler time to be.
0: That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that leads you down the long corridors of the most radical decade. Dodging the pitfalls of toxic nostalgia, opening the secret doors of your memories, and fighting the familiar bully who stuffed you in a locker. I'm Chris. And I'm Ben. And this is 80s High. Welcome back, everybody third episode of the season this is a doozy this is one oh gosh we've talked about this on at least two previous episodes if not more masterpiece game from my childhood hero quest very excited
1: you're setting the scene so great already like with your alliteration and your description i could i could see the the torches flickering on the dungeon walls i could see rats scurrying in the dark corners yeah. i'm already down in the dungeon man i'm i'm ready for my quest. But I wouldn't be ready if I didn't have a single weapon. I don't need a, a crossbow. I don't need a double-headed axe. What do you need? A broadsword. Broadsode. 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 <laughs> the commercial's great. I would love, we should play some audio for the audience of the commercial. When we get into chemistry.
0: I think I'm just going to play the commercial at the commercial break. You know, sometimes I try to tie it in and make it loosely related. We just go straight for the actual thing in this one. Because yeah. why wouldn't we? Why waste time? Let's just get to the juicy stuff everybody wants. Uh, Speaking of juicy stuff on this episode, we have a fantastic guest appearance. If you're familiar with HeroQuest, there's a 85% chance, Ben, you might know this voice when you hear it.
1: I'll put Uh, it this way. There's there's really only one personality still out in pop culture regularly talking about HeroQuest.
0: I would say ever. There's only one voice ever. <laughs> probably. So, <laughs> probably. Uh, but we actually got some fantastic input uh, from this, this secret person. We'll reveal that in chemistry class. little teaser at the top. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be super exciting. But, you know, it's homeroom class. Super quick. Any fun nostalgia look back
1: encounters with the 80s that you had uh, yes. Since last we spoke. For the first time in 21 years, the members of Talking Heads all got together. Oh. So they've re-released with uh, new editing, Stop Making Sense, which is the video of one of the concerts of Talking Heads from 1983. Okay. I believe we talked
0: about that in our Once in a Lifetime episode. Correct. Yes.
1: correct. And this happened at the the... Pantages Theater in L.A. in 1983. But it was great. David Byrne was there, and he was interviewed by Spike Lee in a Q&A. Everybody, the whole band is out together dancing in the aisles while, like, there's a big number of burning going on. It was great. None of, they didn't necessarily perform, but they attended the premiere of the movie, and it was, uh, it was great. They got back together. Well, that's good. I remember there was a little bit of a falling out,
0: I think, creative differences kind yes. of a thing at one point. Right. And, uh, didn't the other band members, if I remember correctly, go off and kind of start all heads things. no talking or something
1: like that <laughs> all, all heads no it talking like just that. heads it was very close okay well fair enough <laughs> um but that was that was the only really like big 80s besides the fact that i just finished playing a lot of contra that's the most 80s that happened to me in the last week
0: i mean a lot of contra is peak 80s in my opinion
1: peak 80s Yourself did you did you trip over nineteen eighty three somewhere? What did you find?
0: Hopefully at the spread gun. It
1: just so shooting out
0: the bullets all like you just fill the screen with bullets. Spread it
1: and homing is where it's at. I was so oh.
0: excited. Oh yeah homing too oh such good stuff
1: I so this is a little bit of a uh, we're gonna have
0: a little dalliance into the 90s so please uh, oh, spare me the criticism Ben. I't the listeners don't mind you're the one I'm really gonna have to get some <laughs> flack from and just I'm gonna head that off right at the oh, outset. Boy. so yeah. I was scrolling through Instagram recently and a early 90s infomercial popped up. Oh and dear. i never seen this one before, but the invention is so ridiculous, and it's just hilarious. It's basically, um, has this ever happened to you? You know, like, so there's got to be a better way. S- someone's That's messing sort of up the... something
1: very simple. Exactly.
0: And this was someone's, like, talking on the phone with the, you know... Everyone knows if you had the old school phones, the handset, everybody, either on the cord or if it was cordless and you, you had the little retractable antenna, you'd have to put it between your ear and you just, like... Bunch oh, yeah. your shoulder up so that you could yeah, yeah, like yeah. talk on the phone and pour yourself a drink or whatever. So it's got some woman doing that, and she just drops it in this vat of soup like she's oh, cooking in the kitchen.
1: As you do <laughs> now, I thought she was gonna like wrap herself up like a mummy in the phone cable. I didn't think dropping it in soup. It got really dark. She like spun around
0: and suffocated. Like the the cord just wrapped oh it around the neck. It, yeah, it got really dark. No, it no, no. happened
1: to you all the time.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> It's that, and then basically the the miracle product is you know. So think of like a current day headset. We're all on Zoom calls, Zoom meetings, and all that kind of stuff, right? Teams, whatever. You've got like the little headset, and then you usually have like you know one or two earphones, and then you got the little microphone that comes around, right? Well, imagine taking the headset part and then velcroing it to the phone. So the phone, this giant phone receiver, is hanging next to your face. It is so ridiculous. So, this is the invention. It's got some like old lady knitting and she's talking on the phone, a teenage girl painting her nails as she's, you know, gabbing on the phone, a dad just chatting away while he's barbecuing. (laughs) And then, what? And then some man's like washing his car, like full body, you know, like you're washing. You know, you put a little elbow grease into it as you're trying to get off those, you know, tough bug stains or whatever. With this giant receiver hanging off his face. <laughs> it is absurd. It is peak 90s. And I loved it.
1: That is awesome. There might be, there's, like, there's like the YouTube dude out there, Unnecessary Inventions. Mm. Which is like the most 3D printer on steroid comedy guy ever. He just makes... Totally oversized, ridiculous inventions nobody needs, actually makes life harder trying to solve the problem. Right. But I could see him having made the Velcro headset. Yes. For telephones back in the 80s, or I guess early 90s.
0: Either that or it was like a prop that Carrot Top would pull out of his like trunk of ridiculous yes, things, carrot right?
1: Top. <laughs> well, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Oh,
0: man. Well, um, I can see that homeroom is winding down, and I'm going to guess that those morning announcements are hitting the loudspeaker right about now.
2: Attention 80s High. I'm Melissa, here to share today's homeroom announcements. Need a reason to break out that tracksuit? Then crimp your hair, slap on your slap wrap, and roller skate over to follow 80s High podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu is being brought to you by the color tan. We'll have corn dog, tater tots, applesauce, and an oatmeal raisin cookie for dessert. If you're loving 80s High, consider supporting the show by dropping a rad review or rating on Apple, telling a classmate to tune in, or even chipping in a few dollars at coffee.com. It sounds like coffee, but is spelled K-O-F-I. It's what all the cool kids are doing. No duh. After school today, the Key Club will be meeting in room 123. They'll be organizing their next park cleanup and food drive. They want to remind everyone that newcomers are always welcome, and you don't need a key to join, nor do they give out keys. The Fightin' Mogwai's track and field team will be looking for your support this Friday against our rivals, the Rough Rays at Sunny High. Come cheer them on. Thank you, and have a gnarly day. Go Mogwai's!
1: Beautiful voice we had on A's (laughs) High this week. What lovely tenor (laughs) and tone and vocals. I I just feel ready for my day. I feel like I could do anything today. I think with that, I don't know, is that our call to action, Ben? The
0: quest. Should we choose to take it up? I do feel a calling. Okay, well, let's delve into this ancient mine called history class where we must retrieve an arcane relic of the hazy past, the origins of HeroQuest, the board game. Sorry, the game system. So, two arms, grab your brood soads.
1: A mine! Sorry, I once, I'm crossing my fantasy properties here. I once went to a midnight opening of The Two Towers dressed as Gimli the Dwarf. Lovely. And when I walked into a full theater, a bunch of people yelled Gimli, and I yelled, "A mine!" It was very victorious. I felt very good. I felt among my people. You are
0: dangerous across short distances, so, and, you know, it fits.
1: It fits. <laughs> I've got small reach, but watch out! <laughs> if you get into that circle. If somebody's in there, just
0: look out. Just look out. That's from Clue. Oh, oh man. We're making oh all those God. unnecessary cross references. Clue is back. That's not what we're here for, folks. We're here for a different kind of exploration of a crazy place. Perhaps not a murder mansion, but of a dungeon. Ooh, a murder dungeon. Yeah. A murder dungeon. Well, murder I guess dungeon. it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly it's kind of a murder dungeon for sure. So you're here for Hero Quest. What is this thing? The HeroQuest Game System is an adventure board game created in 1989 by Milton Bradley in conjunction with the British company Games Workshop. Now, Ben, quick pause.
1: Are you familiar with Games Workshop or some of their (gasps) properties and products? I am very familiar with Games Workshop with one of its properties. You sure are. Probably too familiar with one of the properties, if I were to be honest. But yeah, Games Workshop coming in hot and heavy From across the pond. Common in clutch, as the kids say.
0: This game includes all elements required in a single box for two to five players to set off on adventures, taking up the archetypal heroic roles of barbarian, dwarf, elf, and wizard. Or playing as Zargon in North America and the UK,
1: or Morcar, Everywhere else on Earth. Like, out of the gates. Like, I know you grew up with one or the other, but Zarkon versus Morkar. Like, how do you feel about the Game Master names?
0: I mean, to me, Zargon sounds more, like, easily pronounceable.
1: Morkar was just the first thing they thought of when they were trying to name the highway.
0: This road can fit Morkar! More car. It sounds like a word, like a name, and like an '80s thing. That when you say it backwards, it's like, oh my gosh, like rack, <laughs> rack rum It's rum. It doesn't work in this case, but you know if it gets spelled out like murder, like Red sure, rum, right? right. It's, uh,
1: it's little, it's little Billy in the mirror, ready to go around the hotel with his mom.
0: Red rum. Exactly. More car. More car.
1: So Zargon
0: or more car. The evil wizard who serves as game master, leading the heroes through the maze, introducing monsters, traps, secret passages, treasures, and more, and controlling enemy movement and combat.
1: And like, can we just get this out of the way? Because I'm worried. Okay. Jerry and some other people are going to message us after the show. Oh, Jerry. For the sake of the show's rhythm, which I'm very good at throwing off. We're just going to call it a game. Okay, we understand, we know that you know, that we know, that everybody knows it's a game system, but we're just going to call it a game, because that will shave off some minutes by the end of this podcast, saving us from having to say game system every time. Is that fair? Is that fair?
0: Let's just consider all of these terms synonymous. Let's just and then be we're cool. All, we're all going to be friendly. We're all going to sit <laughs> around this table, roll our dice happily. It's going to be
1: great.
3: Oh my God, it's a gargoyle! <laughs>
1: right, sorry, I keep your rain. You, you've got a great setup here for the history. Keep us rolling. In the
0: 1980s, game designer Steven Baker moved from Games Workshop to Milton Bradley, and he convinced the head of development there man named Roger Ford, to allow him to develop a fantasy genre game. So he gets the go-ahead, but is given sort of this, hey, you need to keep the game simple. We want to appeal to younger players. This isn't going to be another D&D with all of its complex systems and rules and dice rolls and all that kind of stuff. We need the, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, silly.
1: So, <laughs> silly, that's so kind of
0: you. Baker ends up contacting his former employer, Games Workshop, because he wants them to develop the plastic miniatures that would be needed for the game. And then he's also like, well, let's also draw on their expertise in the fantasy game field to help develop the game. So basically, a lot of his either contacts back at Games Workshop slash his own experience is brought together to be able to develop this uh, blossoming, this game that's coming together in his head and with his team. You know, this game, in a sense, is like D&D, but with limited actions. And it's on a contained board. As I mentioned in the introduction, everything you need is in the box. It's all there. You pull out the parts, you assemble the things, and it's ready to go. And it's available to two to five players. So one player has to be Zargon, the game master. And then the more players you have beyond that, you know, basically you kind of divide up the hero... Parts. So you could play two player and then one person is just like all four heroes. And then one person is Zargon running the show. Much like in D&D, the Dungeon Master, right? You're the DM. Absolutely. Only it's the Game Master.
1: And so D&D, there is a tie from D&D back to Baker's grandpapa employer before he's Milton Badley. Please. Mm -hmm. No, sorry. Milton Badley is the the ripoff of Milton Bradley. That's all the the games that didn't work out (laughs) in the testing. (laughs) <laughs> um, so that's like, that's where Games Workshop gets off the ground, right? 1975, John Peake, Ian Livingstone, and Steve Jackson. And they started with wooden boards. One of the, one of the board games you brought up on the show here, Mancala.
0: Oh, wait, that's like an ancient game. They brought
1: it back? Great. Right. So they produced Mancala, uh...
0: Batgammon,
1: Nine Men's Morris, which I don't oh, know. Oh, interesting. And Go. Oh, yeah. So you know Go? I do, Yeah. Eventually, Games Workshop became the primary importer into the U.S. of Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, Hence yeah, yeah, Hence all the yeah. D&D talk that's going on. Right. And you'll see, obviously, how D&D will influence HeroQuest gangs, if you don't already know. And we'll, you might get into this. So there's like a little shakeup at Games Workshop, which is kind of a bummer. So Tom Kirby became the general manager, the GM, in 1986 of Games Workshop. And he and Brian Ansell bought out the other guys at the time. Uh, That was later in 90. But like as you get to the end of the 80s, Games Workshop isn't so much really interested in doing the wooden board games and a lot of board game properties. They're really like, you know what I love the most? Tiny little plastic figurines. That's what we're all about. It's all about Warhammer Fantasy Battle and Warhammer 40K or 40,000. Absolutely. So this is during that time Baker gets out, goes to Bradley, but knows, hey, if I need minifigs, I know where to go.
0: Yeah, and there's actually going to be some... Interesting tie-ins into Warhammer that we might just just get into a little bit, a, little, a bit. little bit, just a little bit. Largely because of this direction that you're you're talking about, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, the gameplay is semi-cooperative, and heroes dungeon crawl. They work together. They complete these quests. They find treasures. They're defeating the forces of evil. So you're a little kid, you've got this game from your, what, Toys R Us, your KB Toys. What's another big store of the 80s? FAO Schwartz. I don't know, maybe. FAO Schwartz. (laughs) I don't know. Those are the the two bigs for me as a kid. I mean, those are the big ones, right?
1: Yeah. Toys R Us and KB Toys. That's where it all was at.
0: The first thing that draws you into this is the beautiful box art. The art on the front is just amazing. I remember studying this. In great detail, from time to time, just looking at it. Start, I mean, oh, right in the center, cool. you have this barbarian, like in a crouch, ready to swing this long one sword. heck of a swing.
1: Just for the I fences.
0: Mean, he's in it to win it, all in. You've got the wizard in the background shooting a spell in the air that some chaos warlock is meeting. It's almost like when Harry and Voldemort are shooting at each other and they've crossed the streams and they're battling back and forth. You've got the elf and the dwarf in the background. I think the dwarf has, like, the axe is, like... Fully behind his body, right? Like it's a full body swing, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes, the dwarf is positioned with the axe at a point that most people could not then heft the axe back (laughs) over their head using their shoulders and triceps. It is touching the ground almost behind him.
0: And then the elf ever so gracefully is just kind of like, on their He's toes. He's like fainting almost, like, like on dodging On tiptoes, like ready to just to be nimble and dexterous. Right. But also the sword is kind of like poised beside them at like shoulder height.
1: Right. He, like can it's, it's, he can stab. He can be ready to it's stab. A,
0: it's an odd pose. And then you've just got this like dais of baddies coming out in the background. Yeah, two tunnels roaring out. And then you've got the, a couple orcs in the foreground that the barbarian is clearly ready to swing at. It is a really good. Cover. It's an amazing box art set.
1: I do appreciate, too, like, right, this game is going to look insanely different than everything else on the shelf, which is really going to catch your eye. It's awesome. I do want to throw out, too, the box artist was very familiar with the game. This doesn't always happen because the monsters are actually quite accurate to the parts and pieces and tools and and scale that you get out of the box. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all accurate. It's what these guys are going to look like when you pop them out. Gray, but the same shapes.
0: Yeah. And that artist is Les Edwards. He is a fantasy artist and painter who created that iconic cover work for the original game. Fantastic. So that's going to catch your eye immediately. If you're not familiar with this game, you're walking down the board game aisle at
1: your local Toys R Us. What on earth is this? Right? You see, it's sitting next to Pictionary, Jenga, (laughs) Trivial Pursuit, and then these four jabronis. Slaying mummies and goblins. Connect
0: four where two kids are smiling and dropping red or black checkers down a little, you know, cheap plastic thing. And you're like, I'm going with this. This looks amazing. Right. The good news is, is when you open this box up, you continue to be impressed. It is packed with all sorts of goodies. So what do you get? First off, you get a board. This board depicts hallways. And rooms that each quest utilizes in some combination. It's basically a blank slate upon which you can create any number of like dead ends, doorways. You know, you can use as little or as much of the board as you want. So that's fantastic. It looks really cool. You get 35 plastic figures, including your oh. four heroes, and then 31 bad guys. Well, 30 bad guys, technically. There is a, a chaos warlock that could depict an enemy or an ally. So that one's kind of a, you know, a neutral piece could go either way. But 30 bad guys. Do you remember what some of these creatures are that you fight, Ben? So you got your run-of-the-mill, your,
1: your meat shield goblins everywhere. Little goblins. What else you got? As you use in our alliteration, the like terrifying... One eyed femur monsters, famir, famir, uh, great monsters, very, very good. Yes, a little stockier than our goblins. We've got our orcs, got gotcha, your orcs, and those three make up like the, the lowest tier of enemies, I think. Yeah, right? typically, like,
0: those are, the famir yeah, is dumb. like the first big monster you run into right. where you're like, Whoa, 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 what is this dude? This thing has more than one hit point. Hold on
1: a second. <laughs> right. Very, very scary. Whoa. Uh, then we get into both skeleton and uh, zombie territory. Yeah. Oh, mu- uh, mummies. Kind of terrifying. Very terrifying. Mummies are very strong. A lot of hit points. They like hang out for a long time. Yeah. But then it gets serious. Yeah. Then we get these super cool... Looks <sighs> like an evil paladin who's lost his weapons. The Chaos Warrior.
0: But... Also went to the gym for like twelve years and so just did jacked. nothing but bench.
1: <laughs> just, <laughs> These are he never skipped bench. Just ride.
0: monsters. Yes, yeah, so you got the Chaos Warriors and then the Grandpapa.
1: The Grandpapa, arguably the best piece, uh, Gargoyle.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: This such a sweet model,
0: Gargoyle. The model. If you don't remember, or if you've never seen it, go freaking look it up. This model is amazing. It is so freaking cool. Uh, and that's saying thing, that the figures, they look great. There's a good amount of detail on them. Very fantastic. So 35
1: figures in the box. That's what I don't want to skip over here. So not only do you have a lot of pieces in the board game box, but I think what people forget is like in the 80s, board game pieces weren't that awesome. Yeah. When you opened a board game, like you mentioned Kinect 4, you get a bunch of plastic circles. There's two colors. Candy Land better because you've got art on cardboard, but it's like cardboard in a little plastic standee.
0: Or you just have like a pawn. It's like a, a the little sphere with like the pedestal underneath yes, it, Yes, right? how do you
1: describe that? It's exactly what I was trying to think of how you describe that. Yeah. Most everything is a little tiny wooden or plastic circle or cylinder. Right. But these are like fully detailed humanoid creatures that you could elect to paint if you so chose. Some people did. True, yeah, yeah. And you just didn't get cool game pieces like this in the 80s in games.
0: Not usually. Yeah, not usually. Very special. Uh, What else do you get? You get spell cards. The heroes get fire, air, water, and earth. And the baddies, the forces of Zargon, chaos spells that do all sorts of nasty things to your heroes. There's treasure cards that might provide rewards or perils, such as traps and wandering monsters. There's artifact cards that have powerful items that are found in quests that your heroes can adorn or use in their journeys. Very exciting when you find those. You've got furniture and doorways. Now, this is where I think the game shines in its original form because it is a mixture of plastic and highly detailed cardboard artwork. The throne, for instance, the arms and the side are like plastic, but the part that would be like the seat is this really ornately detailed cardboard. And so you put those together. Or a bookcase is gonna be this really cool cardboard, but the topper on it that holds all the cardboard together is plastic. And there's even like, you can put like a little, um, there's like a little peg at the top where you can put like a little rat or something on it. So like it just, it's just this little bit of extra detail that you can add, and there's tables, there's a fireplace that looks really cool, just a, a rack, like a torture rack, just all sorts of cool furniture and items in the game.
1: It reminds me like in Despicable Me when Gru, when he's not doing super well as a superhero, comes up with the most ridiculous crimes for his little, uh, what do you call those little things? Bababoo ba da the little yellow guys wearing overalls. <laughs> minions, minions. Minions, minions, yes. So it's like the witch lord got all the goblins... And Orcs together was like, Tonight we will rob a Pier One! <laughs> and like, sent all his minions up to the surface and got all this great furniture brought it back down to the dungeon and they've redecorated through a couple of throw pillows over here some fuzzy towels no it really is amazing like not only did games back then not have furniture that wasn't a thing like you would go play a game and like here's the furniture pieces to set up but it's quality and it really like helps set the setting and set the mood for the game it really makes it a lot more immersive uh than just pictures on cardboard that's flat
0: pier one that's amazing <laughs> I
1: haven't haven't thought about that store (laughs) in forever.
0: Right? (laughs) Beer one. But yeah, so the furniture and the doors look super cool. Uh, you have cardboard tiles that add room elements, like the staircase where you typically start or end your oh, journey, like a little yeah. spiral staircase. You've got uh, little pieces that denote where traps are, or the end of a corridor, like walls. You can put those up to show that this is not All
1: right, a, a cool. corridor
0: here. In this particular quest, it's a dead end. It's a you know, it's a solid wall. And then you've got your movement and combat dice. So this is a dice-based game. We'll talk probably a little bit more about that. It comes with a privacy screen. Again, great artwork. It shows Zargon, this bearded wizard-looking guy pointing at you, the players, and you see the forces of darkness beneath him and i think his red cape is kind of flowing it's a across. very cool
1: vibe setting Well, and that's sort of a thing that came out of uh D too right like D, right. proper a dungeon master has a screen to hide their plans behind and so zargon or uh what was the other one more car can hide their dastardly deeds behind
0: absolutely You
1: have the player cards
0: that talk about the characters and their stats. You have the character sheets where you can name your characters, track your hit points, track your gold, your armor, all the things you can check off when you finish a quest so you know how far you've made it. And then finally you get the quest book and the instruction manual. That's everything pretty much that's jammed into this box. It's a pretty beefy package, I'm not gonna lie. It's amazing. Do
1: you want to talk a little bit about the
0: the quests and how those work, Ben? Shall we?
1: Yes, that would be a fine direction of our dungeon plumbing quest.
0: All right. So the whole idea is that our heroes are guided by Mentor, this off-screen force of good that is setting you on your journey. The heroes are on a loosely connected set of individual quests. There's 14 in total and they're charged with fighting, again, the forces of Zargon. Zargon being Mentor's once apprentice, turned over to the great powers of chaos. Quests range in types. There's anything from rescue missions, prison escapes, treasure hunts, there's boss fights, tales of revenge, all sorts of fun prompts that set you off with your to-do list, your objectives for that particular quest. And and as I said, some of these are loosely connected. You might see characters or storylines or locations come back in later quests.
1: Which I think I've got to guess is also innovative for the time. Like this is a story-based narrative game that has 14 missions in the base game? 14, yeah. 14 quests. Fourteen, But yet like... You playing different characters and setting all this stuff out. Like there's a lot of replayability in the game. Absolutely. Which I feel like, yes, like basic games, the most basic of basic games like Jenga and Kinect 4 have variability because there's varying strategy you use against your opponent and who you play. Right. Like there's no variability in mousetrap. It's like right. the same direction. You build the trap at the same rate, like whatever. But this, it's cool. There's a lot of different ways to keep playing this game and not get bored of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the back of the manual is an empty map, an empty board where it says, hey, photocopy this, and you can create your own quests. You can go off, make your own adventures. Where it's like, fine. You didn't think we did it well enough? After 14 missions, (laughs) you didn't have a good time? Draw yourself. Well, you make 14 better missions, kid. Right. Exactly. And then you just drop your friends into a room full of gargoyles, familiars, chaos warriors, and you just smash them to death. You're like, you lose, loser. Yeah, exactly. So each mission or quest ends when either every player returns to that spiral staircase, completes the objective, exits through a door, or it can end if uh, the players have been killed by the evil wizard. Yeah, it's true. I think we had a death in the campaign that we played together. We'll talk more about that in chemistry class. But I think there was at least one death or near-death experience I believe we had. In between quests, characters, you know, typically at the end of each quest might get some kind of loot or like, hey, here's your reward for doing the thing. Now, characters don't level up, per se, unlike you would in, say, D&D. Right. Kill enough baddies, get more experience. I'm level two. I've unlocked new powers. But all that gold you've been tucking away can be traded between quests at the armory. The armory Uh, is this little box insert. It's like a riser. You pull it out, and it's got basically a shopping dream. It's just like, I want all the things And it's weapons, it's armor, there's a a trap disarming kit, all sorts of cool
1: stuff. I'm going to try and save it for chemistry, but I have a lot to say about the armory. Fantastic. I'm very excited about it. I so
0: much look forward to it. What
1: a destination. Oh.
0: So that's kind of the basic structure of the quests and the in-between. And so let's talk about the release. This game is released in Europe and Australia in 1989. And as we've clearly established in this episode, a little bit of a 90s crossover. It did release in North America in 1990. I'm stretching it here. One more, taking that dalliance into the 90s. What's our third offense? Three strikes? No, we're
1: back again.
0: (sighs) Okay, just calm down, everybody. But we're at the precipice, but we haven't gone over yet. So it's released, and by the end of 1990, over 300,000 units of this game are sold. Now, I They're don't right. know how that compares to another, you know, Fireball Island. I don't know how that compares to Crossfire. Crossfire! You'll get caught up in the. Crossfire! But 300,000 seems pretty good for, like, you know, a higher end, probably higher price point. I think back in the day, it was roughly $40 US. That's not. Inexpensive. It's possible. It's really good. Seems pretty solid. So much so that expansions did quickly follow. These expansions could add anything from new quests, storylines, more tiles and board elements, more figures and characters, more baddies, and more spells. So it just added some different stuff. Now, this gets a little nuanced. So every market that we've talked about gets two of them. Kellar's oh. Keep. Kalar's Keep comes out in 1989 and 1991, 91 being in North America. And this one's focused more on the goblins, orcs, and mm, Okay. Also in the same year's Return of the Witch Lord, the second expansion comes out more focused on skeletons, zombies, and mummies.
1: You thought you had defeated that witch lord, but boy were you wrong, kids. We're back, He-Man. <laughs> we're back <laughs> and looking for a good fashionable ottoman. <laughs>
0: so each of these expansions have 10 more quests. So basically, you have all of these together, you have 34 carefully curated and crafted quests. That's a lot for you and your kiddo friends to delve into. That is well stocked. Yeah. North America gets a couple additional ones. The barbarian quest pack, sometimes called the frozen horror comes out in 92. And this one actually introduced a few solo quests and then some of the co-op quests, which is interesting. And then you also had the elf quest pack that came out in 92 as well. Sometimes referred to as mage of the mirror. Mm -hmm. So those are North America only in Europe. They released the Adventure Design Kit in 1990. Basically, it just gives you more tools and tips for creating your own adventure. So Mm -hmm. rather than just like, hey, kid, here's an empty map and all the markers, go at it. Now it's like, well, here's some things you might want to consider if you want to build this out and do it, you know, la la la. So Europe gets that. That's kind. And then Europe and
2: Australia
0: only get against the Ogre Horde. That is Horde this time, not horror. <laughs> not horror, Horde. <laughs> in 1990. And Wizards of Morkar in 1991. Morkar. Which I believe those both add new baddies, new quests, and all that kind of stuff. So there like
1: more baddies or did new figurines come out for all
0: these two? There were some new figurines. I believe there's like ogres in that one. I think there's different wizard figurines for the other one. So you cool. were getting- not just like, here's more skeletons, here's more zombies. It's really, here's right, some different all characters. And I think a couple of them added a female variant of some of the characters. Oh! Yeah. So, interesting that they didn't release these all in the same markets. I'm not quite sure why some of them released in certain areas and not others. Okay, But I'll be honest, I... Never heard of the Frozen Horror and the Mage of the Mirror, which both dropped in North America. I never remember seeing those. I just remember Kellars Keep and Return of the Witchlord. So
1: Okay, maybe, maybe I'm getting too on. far down the road, but if you own the US-based game, can you buy a UK expansion and it'll work with your game?
0: I would presume so. I don't think there's <sighs> any design differences in the games. I just think it's where they release them for some reason. So I would expect they are fully interchangeable.
1: So wait, are there extensions you don't have? I just have those two. Oh my
0: God, Christopher, yeah.
1: you're set for every birthday of the rest of your life.
0: There's four others. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm because, sorry. Oh I'm my sorry, gosh, we got we yeah, got like, big news in contemporary culture, if you didn't know. But anyway, let's we'll put a pin in that. We're put a pin. We're we're all over the map because you know we're just so excited. You know, look. We've cast this spell, Pass Through Rock. We are just running through the classrooms right now because we can pass through. (laughs) So we're simultaneously. This is maybe, we'll go back to our, a couple episodes ago, the uh, Watchmen. We're experiencing time in multiple dimensions simultaneously. Okay. We got a little bit more in history though, because guess what? In 1989, Games Workshop is like, Hero Quest, fine. We literally just released it. You know what else we need to release? Advanced Hero Quest. Oh, yeah. So this does speak a little bit more to your uh, point about the direction Games Workshop is going in, because this is truly from Games Workshop, so this is not Milton Bradley involved. They kind of style it as a sequel, but it's more or less the same game. They do a couple things, though. It's more complex. There are more RPG-like rules. There's a modular board. They use 12-sided dice for skill and combat resolution rather than a standard six-sided. Ah, interesting. And the heroes and monsters are defined by weapon skill, bow skill, strength, toughness, wound speed, intelligence, and bravery. It's a lot of stats. It's a lot more to keep track of than the normal game. Uh, The game is based on core Warhammer mechanics and rules. So once again, this is where you start to see a little bit of blending. So Warhammer, which Ben kind of talked about, this figure-based tabletop game, is really where Games Workshop wants to go. That's the direction they're headed in. And they have a lot of games that sort of like do this crossover where they're not exactly in canon, but they utilize Warhammer mechanics yeah, or yeah, rules yeah, yeah. and could be interchangeably mixed, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Like, I guess you could take these advanced hero quests pieces and play them in the Warhammer universe. I don't know. I got a little confused and I didn't want to go too far down a Warhammer rabbit hole. But anyway, that's apparently a thing. It's too
1: deep. It's too deep.
0: Also, they do release an expansion for Advanced Hero Quest called Terror in the Dark, released in 1991, adding new elements. Now, Ben, you should look up the Advanced Hero Quest box art because if you want to see something very different from Hero Quest... These two sets of box art could not be any more different from each other. Whoa. Ben will paint us a a word picture, a description. What do you see, Ben? Stylistically. And I don't
1: mean Chaos Warriors, because that the one Chaos Warrior on the cover is extremely obfuscated. I mean, yes, we are highlighting once again the barbarian as the hero with a big swing of a sword, but otherwise, like, I don't know, now we have a metallic motorcycle garage font for advanced hero quest Mm. much more orange tone than red i will say the details on that little goblin in the foreground are fantastic yeah but then everyone else like this game is basically saying be a giant jacked arnold schwarzenegger and fight a goblin the dwarf blends into the background the mage the wizard is basically completely gone. Yeah. The elf is wearing the same color clothes as the dungeon walls, So he literally, his special skill in advanced hero quest is transmutation. He can go invisible. Right. No, I don't like this. I don't like it. Yeah. It's fan. definitely
0: a more muted. Like, like you said, a lot of things just kind of blend together more. The the characters don't pop as much. Right. The art style, I don't really care for. Like the, the look on that barbarian's face is kind of wild but <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a much it's a lot so definitely not as big of a fan in comparison to the original artwork for sure but uh but yeah so that is advanced hero quest as much as we're going to talk about it here in history just a, a quick set of disambiguation for warhammer because we might talk about it yes because warhammer as i mentioned tabletop miniature war game it has a medieval fantasy theme it's created by brian Ansel. Richard Halliwell, and Rick Priestley. And it is first published by Games Workshop in 1983. Now you might be saying, wait, Warhammer Fantasy, I thought it was spacey. Well, so here's the thing, everybody. Great. (laughs) Warhammer is kind of three different settings. There's almost three versions that are completely separate with no bearing from each other for the most part. You have Warhammer Fantasy, that's the oldest, Uh, If you're familiar with Vermintide or Warhammer Total War, these are set in that fantasy series. This is the one we're kind of referring to right now. There's also Warhammer Age of Sigmar. This is the newest setting, which is like thousands of years after some apocalypse. So it's kind of a continuation, but apparently not exactly. It's sort of its own thing. Oh my God,
2: it's
1: a whole thing.
0: And then you have Warhammer 40K, which back in the 80s was created as a futuristic spin-off of Warhammer fantasy. So <laughs> there's just
1: <laughs> – I did not realize how
0: extensive this was and how separate
1: they were. Look, I don't know enough about this to be really dangerous. But Warhammer 40,000 or Warhammer 40K is like a master's level college course. It's more common than any game you can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a gazillion armies. It's set in the distant future, sci-fi. Each army is made up of a gazillion different units, which are little types of a plastic piece you might have. One set of a plastic piece might cost 45 bucks off the shelf, and you'll need hundreds of these things to play the game. Every turn, every time someone individually as a person wants to take a turn, it's 30 to 45 minutes for that person to do everything they want to do on their turn. You're doing a little war, you're measuring distance. It's math, the tabletop pastime. Yes, these both came from a similar seed, but man, um, HeroQuest is much more closer to board games that I think that we all need than, than something like Warhammer 40,000.
0: I can surmise the reason Games Workshop went that direction is there's money to be had in that, right? Because people will oh, pay a yeah. lot of money for these figures and they're proprietary. You know, the whole idea isn't that in Warhammer, it's like, well, you can just gather pieces, you know, throw a Ghostbusters action figure in there and then <laughs> grab this thing over here, right? It, like any of those games where you have little models or figures, that's a not an inexpensive game to get into. 100%. It is steep. So I can definitely see why they pivot that direction because there's gold in them, their hills.
3: There's gold
1: in them, their hills.
0: I think that wraps it up for history class. We've, we've already delved basically into chemistry at a kind of sideways. We've been talking a little bit already, but before we do head out, is there anything that you think squarely belongs here in history class, Ben, that we haven't covered so far?
1: I feel like I need to deploy my trap checking tip because I feel like this question is a trap and I don't want to trip it and get stuck. Bing. Okay, trap, disarmed. Uh, I'm okay. I think I got everything in history I needed to get out. This is good.
0: All right, you dodged an armful of poison arrows. Thank heavens.
1: Lucky again.
0: Well, I say we head down this corridor because it's time to brew up a concoction in chemistry class aided by the smell of an old board game box when you pull it open you take it in and you relive all those childhood memories
1: ooh good 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 good
0: good okay we're here in chemistry we're sniffing all the cardboard
1: slightly uh, damp cardboard
0: maybe that's some right. some finger cheeto dust has gotten on a couple of pieces <laughs> The old pencil marks of a, a long forgotten Ooh. set of quests that you and your friends in junior yep. high did. Oh, it's all coming Very back. Good. The memories Very flood good. in. We're here in chemistry class to talk about our experiences with the game at the top of the show. We also hinted that we brought an extra voice along the way. We reached out to, quite frankly, the only voice that matters in Hero Quest, the Bard. The Bard. Now, you might be saying, what on earth are you talking about? Well, you might know this voice from the Bard's channel on YouTube, Bardic Broadcasts, where if you've ever done a search on YouTube for HeroQuest, this is the first return. This is the video. (laughs) You will get, with 3.2 million views so far, and I'll just say a phrase that if you know it, you know it, the best thing about HeroQuest is dot, dot, dot. That's right. That wonderful human with all of his amazing abilities to weave a tale so sweet and amazing, the bard. We were able to get him to submit answers to our questions on this episode. Ben, is this your crowning achievement for the podcast to <laughs> nab this participant
1: on the show it's a pretty big get i'm very excited i think what's great about us doing a variety show is a lot of people get exposed to stuff that they're not usually exposed to and it's basically like getting the bard on your episode about hero quest is like getting michael jackson on your thriller episode this is <laughs> at least in the last decade this is the biggest name in hero quest even though he's not employed by the company as far as i know but he's made some great YouTube content, and he does a lot of stuff on Discord and streams a lot. He creates a lot of great video game-based video content. And uh, he's been so generous to grace us with his time to help us out on this episode.
0: Yeah, the best thing you can do is just pause this right now and go watch the, like, five, six-minute video that he does.
1: Frankly, because all of our jokes over the next half an hour are not going to make a sense if we right. do. <laughs> or
0: jokes we've already done. Um but the video is called "Why Hero Quest is So Great," and basically he proceeds to say the best thing about Hero Quest, and then he names thirty different things, and it's amazing.
1: Yeah, because it's a great game. Let's just
3: play a,
0: a short clip right now.
3: Never mind any of that. The best thing about Hero Quest is the gargoyle. It is the finest miniature in the land. Compared to this, this is rubbish. This is brilliant. This is an abomination. This is a gargoyle. When a young lad saw this miniature, do you know what he said? He said, "Ooh, I've got to get in on that Hero Quest action," and he was right. The best thing about HeroQuest is the quest book, jam-packed with cracking sword and sorcery scenarios, each more different than the last, and none more different than the dreaded blank map which is used to make your own deadly scenarios. Of course, the only natural response to this is to put a monster in every square, as is the right and privilege of every HeroQuest owner. The best thing about Hero Quest is rolling to move, and you might roll your eyes at this, but it really adds to the drama. Will I trip on a flagstone or leap heroically into battle? Let's find out. The best thing about Hero Quest is ignoring the roll to move rule. It was clearly only included for the junior set, more used to playing snakes and ladders, and not really intended for true masters of the game.
0: Okay, that's the teaser, everybody. It's amazing. Like we said, the bard answered some of our questions, so we're going to sprinkle them in here in chemistry class. But let's start with us, Ben. Let's talk about our earliest experiences with HeroQuest. Mine are earlier than yours. Does it make sense to start with me? Please do. Okay. No, that would be great. Kick us off. Excellent. So I chose this topic because I had this game as a kid. I was trying to figure out what age I was based on when it was released. I wouldn't have been any younger than 10 or 11 years old when I got this game. In my memory, my dad bought it for me. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. So at that time, by this age, my parents were divorced. So basically the arrangement was I would go visit him at his house every other weekend. And this game stayed at his house.
1: Oh, gotcha.
0: And when I would go there, we'd play together. I don't remember how we chose, if he let me choose, but I got to be Zargon. And there's something fun about being a kid and having a little bit of like control over a parent, right? Like a thousand percent, (laughs) totally. You finally get to know something they don't know. He didn't know what the quest was. He didn't know what was around the corner, if there was a trap on that treasure chest. He didn't know if that gargoyle was a statue or an honest-to-goodness monster. And it was so fun.
1: That power is a huge point you're talking about, being a kid in the 80s and turning on your parents in a way. It's like it's like getting your first super soaker, and mm. it's filled up, and your mom or dad are outside with their back turned to you. And it's the first time you looked down at the trigger <laughs> and looked up at them. Like that moment, but you get to act on it. That's mm. Hero Quest as the dungeon master, as Zargon. Yeah, so that, it was just so much fun. So when I would go visit
0: him, you know, we'd play a quest or two. And I remember playing this game over multiple years. I couldn't tell you how many. We managed to finish all of the main quests. And then, as I said, I eventually got Kellar's Keep and Return of the Witch Lord. Oh, yeah. So we ended up playing some of Kellar's Keep, but we didn't finish it. And I have actually never, ever played Return of the Witch Lord. You say? Yeah, that's some of my earliest experiences with it. Now, I did revisit the game throughout my life into my teens and adulthood more recently, which uh, we'll talk about. But um, I never really got far in it. I remember one time some friends and I kind of played loosely, like not by the rules, but we used the characters. That's one thing we'll talk about in this game. You can take all those elements and just like incorporate it into anything else. They're so cool. They're so good. Uh, So I remember doing that. And I remember playing with, well, Corey, who's been on a couple episodes now, uh, most recently with Watchmen. I know he and I and some other friends have played it. But I've never gotten that far in it. There's a lot of starts and stops because, Oh, yeah. never really had that sustained group where we like could come together and all play it on a regular basis. Yeah. Until more recently. And that's where I'll hand it over to you, Ben.
1: <laughs> what a seamless transition. That was just perfect. My very first exposure to HeroQuest would have been the best thing about HeroQuest video on YouTube. That's the first time okay. I ever even heard of the game. And when did that come up? Was it from the podcast
0: or had you heard it independently? No,
1: no. Ages ago just comes up, you know, in the in the memeing days when things are getting kicked around the Internet. You know, hey, check out this funny, ridiculous thing. And so, I mean, that video was first published on May 7th, 2016. Okay. And so sometime in the last seven years... Is when I first learned about Hero Quest. That video certainly intrigued me. And then you introduced not only did you have Hero Quest, but you really wanted to get a group together to play it again. Yeah. And I thought, I've heard of this game. It sounds like every component, including the box itself of it, is the best thing about it. I would like to play with some people who know what they're doing. So you not only brought it over a few years ago, but you generously were yet again reliving your childhood heroism, or I guess e- evil. Uh yeah. you did the DM, you did the Zargon for Villainicism? And... Is that what Villis- that's called? Villa <laughs> villainism <laughs> Uh for me and Mrs. Ben for like yeah. so that would have been fall of twenty one, I think yeah. is when we started playing it. I think you're right, yeah. And we played it on the semi regular until you carried us through the entire base game. Yeah, we finally got
0: through the end of the main quest line, the those fourteen quests, and uh for various reasons had to put a pin in it. Yes, but I am still hopeful that one of these days I will actually get to finish Kellar's Keep and then actually play and complete Return of the Witch Lord.
1: That would be great. And I know we're getting, getting into the details, I'm sure, of our playthrough because it's the most recent. But um, you know, I picked uh, let's say I picked the barbarian, yeah, uh, and I called her Lagatha because yes. I love History Channel's Vikings. It's such a, and I was all about Lagatha at that moment. Mm. That was great. Mm-hmm. And then I took the wizard. I wanted to be able to try two completely different sets of characters. Yeah. Total melee, muscle bound, only wearing the tiniest of loincloths, a Barbarian. (laughs) And then then the wizard totally cloaked, totally covered, very soft and squishy up front, but some cool spells later. And I called, very 80s of me, it was Fred Wonder Savage. That's right. (laughs) Because it was Fred Savage, but Wonder was like he could do magic, putting the wonder in it. That's right. And that leaves Mrs. Ben as the dwarf who became... I one dwarven army, oh, and, and the elf. Uh, MVP. Let's just say, Absolutely. what was it? Um, dwarf-y? Uh dwarfus, 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 and elfie is what is what she named hers. That's right. But dwarfus, like we'd keep our kills, right? So like you'd kill a model and you put on your little character card, and you couldn't see the dwarf's card by the end of like every round. It was nuts. Oh, that's right. That, I think you
0: added that idea of like let's count all of our kills. Yeah. And so, and you actually drew. The symbol of each, like there's like a little great. icon for each monster, and you were like drawing them on the back, and yeah, Dwarfus just ended up smashing and obliterating so many things. Like the barbarian's supposed to be the really strong one, but I don't know. She had the rules for that character, which Dwarfus was, was nuts. Wild.
1: And that's something I'm sure we can we can talk more about it. But one of the things I think is great with the game is like clue, you get a piece of paper to track the evolution of your character and what's going on. Just right. like in clue, you're tracking the clues. And in clue, you know, you work hard, but you can you can dispose of that piece of paper that came with the board game when you're done. But there's something about Hero Quest where you've you've written down the new stuff they bought, which we'll talk about, who they killed, if they got new equipment or leveling up. You just feel a little bit of commitment and it kind of makes you want to come back and stay with your character, keep playing them through night after night. Absolutely. It's kind of like
0: when you play Balderdash, you want to keep all of the old submissions and the funny things that people say. So you could just, like, go back and read them all and have a good laugh and, like, oh, I remember this night. That's so cool. Same kind of a thing. You want to be able to, like, open this. It's almost like a little booklet of history, a four-page booklet of history where you can, like, flip through and, like, oh, yeah, these characters. Oh, my gosh, this. I can't believe that. You know, all that kind of stuff is super awesome. Well... Let's get our first submission from The Bard, because we asked The Bard, how did you first come to play Hero Quest? And this is what he had to say.
3: Picture this scene. Christmas, 1990. It's an Australian Christmas, so you also have to imagine the sweltering heat. And a young bard, his head full of dreams, bounces out of bed and is presented with a box adorned with fabulous Les Edwards sword and sorcery artwork. And that was it, instantly. <coughs> You don't always realise when you're opening a box of magic, but that day, I knew. And it wasn't that long until the kitchen table was alive with miniatures and we had our first proper game going on, and I chose the dwarf. He was my first character. And as I recall, I immediately forgot his special ability and walked into a pit trap. An excellent start to many years of adventure.
0: I love that this man stays in character, the bard true Great. to his self. I didn't know what we
3: were going to get. And
0: it's better than Christmas. He's in performance mode 3000 and we're so here for it. It's amazing. And this dude's turn of phrase and how he tells these stories, mesmerizing. I would want him to be the game master or dungeon master of any game. I would just listen to him speak Can you imagine? Speak he would be hours. your best
1: dungeon master ever. Oh my goodness. so fun.
0: Painting tales, visually stunning.
1: So, at our 14-match session a couple of years ago, there are yeah. many, many steps one goes through. You evolve, you find stuff, you discover new monsters. It's terrifying. You're trying to find stuff in the keep. Are there any of the 14 that stand out to you, particularly, as ones you really love?
0: There are some. I think, you know what? I want to hear what the Bard has to say about... Oh yeah, good any call. individual quests that he loved the most, and then I want to talk more about some
3: of mine. So let's let's hear what he has to say first. The answer is yes. I absolutely do, but for a very specific reason. The Fire Mage is the name of the quest. And within, you must confront Balor, the master of fire magic, who has been helping the orcs of the Black Mountains in their raids. Now, here's the trick. You're confronting Balor in his lair, right? His domain, where he is master. And he is a lord of flame, what's more. This means two things. Firstly, he takes the fire spell cards. You can't use them. This is so good it highlights what a threat he is he is the master of flame not you in his realm your magic is disrupted you have no power over fire secondly and not quite as interesting he can pass through any wall once escaping from battle when he's threatened he's then placed in his lair in the center of the board oh spoilers These two things do wonders for the atmosphere and the experience of playing this scenario. Because for once, the elf and the mage aren't holding all the cards. The player's power has been subverted by the enemy. And when he vanishes, there's a sense that you have even less control. That you really are in enemy territory and far from safety. A sense of danger, right, is often quite hard for HeroQuest to generate a lot of the time. But here, in this quest, a couple of tricks bring the feeling of being in enemy territory much more to life.
0: I love the way he tells this tale, and the idea where this is one of the quests where the game is finally like, okay, you've made it far enough, we're going to pull a fast one on you. You remember those four sets of spells you have? We're going to take one of those away from you, and not just any of them. The fire spells are your—you had— Command of the Fire spells with uh, Fred Wonder Savage. Those are your main attack spells. That's all I had. That's all I had. That and a flimsy one damage staff that you could just like jab people in the eye.
1: (laughs) It's almost insulting they included
0: it. I was so mad. The only good thing about it is you can attack diagonally, but I'm like, you're rolling one attack die. Like, good luck with that.
1: Yeah, it's not gonna happen.
0: And I wanted him to say that one first because this is a really cool quest for really the reasons that he lays out for you, that he kind of steals some of your, well, your thunder, but actually steals your fire, right? Like he steals some of your fire. And you, you have to kind of like figure out, okay, well, how do we compensate for this, right? You're already trying to balance the strengths and weaknesses of each character. And now you have this wizard who normally could just be like in the background and just lob a fireball, suddenly can't do that anymore. And you're just like, how are we gonna defeat this guy? So I thought that was really a great mission. Keeps the player on their toes. I think the other one I really, really like is the last three missions are an interconnected storyline.
1: Oh, right,
0: that is really good. This is where you're gonna defeat the Witch Lord. And it's called the Barak Tour storyline. I think Barak Tor is the name of the location where this witch lord is. And basically in the first quest, you're going to release the witch lord, but you find you can't actually harm him. Oh, right. The heroes actually in this quest running from this character, they can't fight. They can't do anything. So you, you sort really of like good. flee and you don't win. You realize there's a, a, a spirit blade is the only thing that will damage The Witch Lord.
3: Right,
1: that was clutch.
0: Yeah, so in the next quest, you actually have to go retrieve this witch blade. So then, completely kind of separate quest, you go find this magical weapon, then you're like, okay, which character's gonna carry this blade? Again, you're trying to balance out your characters. Well, the Barbarian has a long sword, they have more attack, the dwarf has this. We'll give it to the elf. We'll give it to whoever, right? We'll give it to Dorfus because Dorfus apparently just is a murder machine <laughs> in our playthrough.
1: That's an interesting point you're, you're catching on there. I, I like in the mechanics of the game, too, is like you will get special abilities that anybody can use at some point in the game. Or we put, if you choose to pull your money, you're like, hey, we can all buy – if we pull our money, we can buy this awesome axe. Yeah. For whom? If you're mm-hmm. playing with multiple friends. And I think like that's not necessarily normal especially when you think of like video games today or couch co-op games in the 90s or beyond that. Or other board games where like one special thing comes up that everyone could have and you, team, need to agree who gets the one thing. Because let me tell you, you're not getting two. Mm -hmm. This is the one. (laughs) You can buy stuff, which we'll talk about. And like, I think that's unique in a game. Do you have to agree who gets more powerful for the next couple hours?
0: Yeah, and this is part of that semi-cooperative aspect of the game that they were talking about. Because it's like, you know, 10-year-old boys, you know, kids or whatever, may not necessarily fully understand the cooperative element. They might be there for themselves, right? So each of you get your gold, and they're all thinking about, well, what am I going to get from my character? Right. And they may not necessarily pool their resources to say, like, actually, it's better if earlier on, you know, we get a crossbow for one character versus all of us save up six missions down the line. Right. Each we of us can super finally get a thing. S- exactly. Yeah, and you're weak until that point. Or, like... We need to attack this character together. We have to be smart about who goes in first, who blocks a doorway, who can attack diagonally. So you can kind of gang up on characters because some, most characters can't attack diagonally or from a distance. Oh, and so yeah, you really had to like, that, that cooperative gameplay element when uh, Stephen Baker was designing it was like, well... A criticism is the game is too easy, but he's like, kids playing this may not always be thinking that complexly about how do we work together. Right. You know, so I think that's one aspect of the game that, yeah, as adults, it probably is a much easier game to play. But I don't think, I mean, you guys were never in like horrible peril, but there were a few times where things were really touch and go. So I'm like,
1: you know, dice rolls are still going to sometimes be in your favor and sometimes you just can't get a break. No, and I appreciate that. I mean, Fred Wonder Savage did bite the dust at one point. I did lose the wizard. Yeah. You did give us the grace of not having permadeath, which I think the game is very hard. If you lose one of your four dudes, they're dead. They're never coming back. It's, I, I think the game really changes. And plus, like, if you did that, like, it wouldn't be so fun. Well, and that's the thing, like, you could
0: replace the wizard, but you have a starting wizard with none of the cool stuff you get, because that's right. the other thing in the armory. Toasted. What was the most common phrase in the armory that you remember, Ben? Uh, well, it's either I don't have enough money, or I already have this. No, on the board, cannot be used by the wizard, right?
1: Oh, right, like every item said you cannot be, and that's so
0: P.S. There's like two or three items, and none of them are fantastic that the wizard can actually purchase. But along the way, you get these cool artifacts. You get a spell book. You get a ring. Right, you get a robe. Right. You get like all sorts of cool stuff, but you have to earn them through quests. Well, if you lost all of that, then you're back to that basic wizard who's not even a glass cannon, is just glass.
1: He's not even a heck of a cannon. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
0: That was part of it too, where I was like,
1: sure, those are the
0: rules, but like, I want this to be fun. I'd rather you guys be well outfitted to have cool adventures rather than like, we're just gonna throw him to the back of the line and never have him walk around corners for fear of a stiff wind killing him, so. Whoa, we lost the wizard. Oh my gosh. And yeah, just to finish that out, that last final quest then as you finally go in with your spirit blade to do that final battle with the witch lord and the witch lord has all these crazy chaos spells and i want to say you guys destroyed the witch lord if i remember correctly i think you Utterly shattered Like I don't even think I got any good spells off And you just went in there And like crushed his
1: skull Is that the one So I remember always Being really terrified When a gargoyle came out Because those was yes. really scary. I feel like the first time One came out it didn't move And that really like Confused us of, like There was one that was Like a statue Like you see the right. gargoyle You're like
0: oh my gosh But it's a statue But like I think If you had done a thing It could have come to life But right. you guys so,
1: Didn't do that thing Thankfully When you start facing The gargoyles And you realize like Their health And the damage They're really terrifying yeah. But I think Mrs. Ben might have one shot arrowed the boss in the head at the end of the game and took off like an insane amount of damage.
0: Yeah, I think she like got all hits or something and none of them were blocked. It was something like that.
1: Right. That night we had played for like two hours and we got to the grand climax and it was like pew pew and it was, do- it was over. It was just, we got it.
0: And that would have been Elfie for the win because I think Elfie had the crossbow.
1: Well, yeah, no, It's it was never, ever my two characters. It was always <laughs> Mrs. Ben's characters came in and saved the day. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, it was so much fun. Um, epic moments. Any epic moments that you can recall? We've talked about a few of them. The
1: one-shot kill, amazing. The one-shot kill is the thing that will always stand out as, like, the big thing that happened. I did, not necessarily, like, a moment, but, like, I've said it a lot. I really enjoy shopping in the game, which sounds weird. No, it's so much fun. Yeah, because, like, here's the thing, gang. In most board games, your character never changes. Like, w- who you are at the start of the game is your character at the end of the game. Nothing ever happens. For those games where you do level up, whatever that might be, if there's the Ghostbusters reskin of, like, Zombicide, uh, if you get it, you sort of get it by the natural progression of the game, right? Like, you level up a little bit, or you find a thing, and by leveling up, you get experience or XP. That makes you stronger. And Hero Quest, yes, you're going to find a few things, a few minor things, But the time for your character to become more awesome is the store in between the matches. Because the only resource you're accumulating in the game is money. And the only thing you can do with money is buy stuff at the store. Which is either armor that makes you take more hits or weapons that make you deal out the damage. And it's just giddy with excitement because it really feels like in modern video games when you get a slightly better sword, it doesn't change anything noticeably. But when you get that like double-handed axe from your starter axe as the dwarf, the it is a brand new game. You are now a walking machine gun. <laughs> that was like four attack dice for it's that battle huge. axe. And so getting that stuff is awesome. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. It's simple. One of the things I hate in modern video games, the best thing I can think of, because board games aren't too bad about it are all the stats and different numbers and math you got to do with your equipment and your stuff. If you want to buy stuff, if you want to sell stuff, it's just so complicated. It sucks the fun out of it. We're like HeroQuest Shopkeeper is like, all right, welcome in. I only got 10 things on the shelf. There's a number with, there's two numbers, what it costs and how much damage it does. Uh, There's no slots. You can't plug anything into it. You can't upgrade it. You can't enchant it. You can't disenchant it. The only resources I take is money, and there's no, I don't know what a level cap is. Do you want the thing? Like, it's so simple, it's beautiful. I
0: love it. We're playing Diablo 4, not together, but like separately we're playing it. And I feel like I have to get out some sort of like decoder ring or a spreadsheet or something to figure out, is this thing better than that thing? And sometimes it's marginal and sometimes it's like, well, this is more damage, but I lose this ability over here. And you're just doing this whole mental gymnastics. And you're right. There's just a simplicity to this that sometimes you want the complication. Sometimes it's fun. Other times you're like, I know this is a upgrade regardless. I'm ruling... Three dice instead of two, I can attack diagonal instead of orthogonal. Win. I know this (laughs) is a massive improvement over what I have. And there's not much improvement to be had, right? Like, you never roll, like, 20 dice, right? You're you're at most going to roll probably four or maybe five. That could... Be the difference, and like, oh yeah, you don't have that many hit points either. You're not walking around with 35 hit points. You're like no. four to eight hit points, is what That's the characters it. have.
1: You are not a bullet sponge. You're not an axe <laughs> sponge. It's over.
0: Yeah. So the, I, again, like that simplicity.
1: There's beauty in the simplicity.
0: Yeah. There's definitely beauty in the simplicity where it's like you don't have this overly complex thing. It's just. It's very clear what you're getting, and I think there's something to be said about that. That's a lot of fun.
1: So that was, like, my standout thing of shopping. Is there, like, a standout thing from the game for you you want to get into? I mean, always played the game as Zargon. I've never really had that
0: hero's moment. I've always either done it, like, vicariously through the players. But from a Zargon perspective, any time you can surprise the heroes by what you place into the room. Oh, yeah. Whether it's, like, oh, there's a weapon rack over there. (gasps) Oh, is there something on the weapons rack? You know, or... I just put in an 8 million ton gargoyle in the room. It's taking up half the space with its, its wings terrifying. and giant arms. Oh my goodness. Or, you know, those. I, honestly, those chaos warriors are the most terrifying. They're so intense. That is so much fun. Whenever I got to use chaos spells, there's not too many missions where you as Zargon get to use spells. So when you actually got to use them, those were so much fun. Oh Because yeah. he had some really cool, powerful spells. Some of them were devastating if they had their desired effect or landed their hits. I don't think any hero character can really attack multiple enemies. I think it's always one-to-one. Yeah, But really. I think Zargon had a few spells that were like area damage. And that's Huge in a game like this. It was really scary. That doesn't have area
1: damage. Especially by and large, a game that is restricted a lot by movement. So, like if you encounter an AoE enemy and there might not be anywhere for you to go to get out of the way. Yeah,
0: you roll two dice, you might get to move up to 12 spaces. You might get to move up to two. Right, (laughs) right. And that's what you had. I mean, a few of them, I think there were some things that gave you extra movement, but for the most part, that dice roll could make or break in many cases. And sometimes you were stuck because you didn't have enough movement to like clear other heroes to get out of the way. And all of a sudden you're the meat shield and yep. that's not the character you want to be the meat shield. So all sorts of jams like that are are really fun, builds the tension. Um, even though I played as the bad guys and I didn't try to pull my punches, I always loved it when heroes found cool items. That spirit blade was obviously really cool. I mean, it's life changing when that happens. There's Orcs Bane is this cool sword that you find that does extra damage against orcs. Oh yeah, right, that was cool. Any of the wizard items, because again, the wizard, that poor sure. wizard gets practically nothing from the armory.
1: No, he's there with a Rubik's Cube and a squeaky toy at the start right. of the game. He's got nothing. <laughs> I mean, at best you can give
0: him the trap disarming kit, but do you really want to give it to the wizard? No. who Can't really take that much damage. And then you've got um, probably one of the best items in the game that anyone who's familiar with this game, Boren's armor, was just just like oh right beastly plate mail that didn't slow you down uh, like the normal plate mail in the game did. It's like I think it's like five. It was huge dice to roll your defense.
1: Wild. So you mentioned an object in there that like that's a different like pace of the game that changes. You, you the first time you go to the shop, you're like brotode. And uh, and crossbow and double-headed axe and, like, armor. And then down in the corner is a trap disarming kit. And you're like, lame. Why am I going to spend my money on a trap disarming kit? I've got a dwarf right here who loves disarming traps. Like, no big deal. I'm not going to take any of that. And then by, like, the fourth or fifth mission, you're like, everybody get a trap kit. <laughs> <laughs> anytime you move, you have to declare you're checking for traps. Right. Like they are everywhere and they just start slowly uh, taking your health off and it catches up to you.
0: Yeah, and some of them are deadly. Like, there's a few that like boulders drop and they can block hallways. Right. So they could like basically divide your hero forces. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got (laughs) your wizard all by their lonesome with the other three powerhouses.
1: Yeah, that was a hard lesson.
0: Yeah, so just fun stuff like that. I would say any of the harrowing dice rolls where everyone's like, you're just, you're ready for that black shield defense for the bad guy, the white shield Mm -hmm. defense for the good guys, the skull if you attack, anything where it was like down to the wire, those were just awesome moments playing
1: this game. Yes, that's what makes this game. I love it. So cool. Well, the Bard
0: also had an amazing story about one of his favorite epic moments. And he actually goes back to that fire mage quest we talked about. And here's what he has to say.
3: Now we know that Bala takes the fire spells, but it's also important that we know about the fire of wrath. Fire of Wrath does one body point of damage, but the important thing to know is that it can strike anywhere on the board. If you have one body point, you're not safe. So you can imagine the scenario already. Right, we confront him in the chamber that he's hiding in. Of course, he runs away immediately. Ha ha ha. Guess who's got one body point? The elf, of course, the most feeble of all warriors. Well, I suppose the mage is more feeble, but whatever, that's not the point ballas off in his lair in the centre of the board, and as soon as it's his turn again, that elf is dead. Now we're in this beautiful moment, right? We're in a crisis. What have we got? What can we do? What have we got? What have we got? Everybody huddle. We've got to solve the problem. The solution was to cast pass-through rock on the barbarians because he's got the best chance of killing Balor if he can get there. Now, he can pass through any number of walls with this spell, but as I recall, he had to roll ten or better to get all the way over there and have a chance. So what do you think happened? Do you think the gods of fate smiled on the barbarian? Did Balor's head roll on the flagstones of his own lair? Of course they did! The barbarian is the greatest warrior of them all. Now I can stand up to that. The muscularity. And just like barbarian steel, that answers all questions.
1: Oh, there's a lot right on that roll. That
0: so is good. maybe one of the most epic stories I've ever heard from Hero. That dice roll at the end and the passing through walls. Basically, the barbarian would have been insta-killed. If you did not roll high enough. Oh my God. Talk
1: again, talk about harrowing dice rolls. My goodness. It's hard for people who like haven't played this game or played a game like it to understand like what a dice roll really means in a game.
0: Yeah. It's not just you, you roll it and you, you collect brick because you rolled a six and you're like, I collect brick. Right, no. this
1: this is Vegas baby. you've been on a three hour <laughs> run. you just put it all on black. like that's, that's the right. level of these roles <laughs> is like it's black. you're a hero red. you are out of the game. Mm. And that just makes these games so exciting when you can like orchestrate those moments. That's very cool. Other favorites do you have
0: favorite heroes? So you played two, you saw Mrs. Ben have two of them in action. Favorite heroes and also, well, okay, let's just start with heroes. Then we'll talk about enemies.
1: I would say my favorite hero has got to be the dwarf. I just love dwarfs in Mm. fantasy stories to begin with. It's a fun character. They're little underestimated, awesome little piles of butt kicking in a board game. You know, I'm glad I did the barbarian because that was like easy mode and I could rely on the barbarian and, you know, actually my my roles weren't that great with Lagatha, but like I got it. It was easy to understand. Yeah. I thought the elf was an interesting blend. Elf is like hard mode, I feel like, in the game, mm. because the elf is an interesting blend of both melee and magic. And not super great at either, right? Right. Like a kind of meh melee and kind of meh magic. So you've got to kind of choose like when in your distance, whether you want to do magic or weapons. And elf's kind of complicated. And then the wizard, like it was a funny joke for about the first half of the game, how weak Fred Wonder Savage was. And by the back nine or the back seven in Hero Quest, I was like, "All right, I've kind of had it up to here with this guy not being able to- And when he, but when he gets the shot off, when he gets to do the spell and the spell works, it's exciting. But still, it's not like the spell kills everything in the room. It's still like two points of damage, which is like what a normal melee does that everybody else gets. But I'm pretty sure you used the genie spell to great effect. The a genie few times. was a
0: cool spell. That was
1: a great spell.
0: The genie is insane. Again, you can only use your spells once. You get 3 of each kind. So the fun thing is is that in the game, the way it's set up with the four skills is the wizard chooses one of the elements first, then the elf chooses one, and then the other two go to the wizard. So you can divide them up any way you want to. Earth, air, fire, water. When my dad and I played, we always were like, well, the elf should have the earth spells, and then the other three elements go to the wizard. And that's how we played. That would make sense. But I think you can switch them technically after every quest, but we kind of kept it that way. And you know, the earth spells tended to be more like like rock skin, pass through, you know, earth, stuff like that. Fire were more attack-based. I think water were more healing-based. And then air. You can make people swift or, again, that genie, which is basically, like, open, Was it, all the doors that are visible. Or you summon this genie that, like, does five dice roll of damage. So, basically, you can crush one enemy with this genie roll, which is amazing.
1: It was pretty awesome. and I, But, I, I mean, to be fair, there were a couple times that I played it where it was, like, Miss! miss like all five were bad
0: yeah you had some trash rolls with the genie a few times you you did not have the best dice rolls just period whereas mrs ben was crushing it
1: you no know, it was crazy and that card is such a weirdly balanced card it's not open all the doors it's open one door open oh that's right door just one door that you can see and see what's inside or open up a rocket launcher on the enemy in front of you like why would you ever choose door
0: yeah, potentially insta-kill the boss with just yes! one genie role. Super yeah. Super yeah, yeah. amazing. So good. Yeah.
1: You, do you have a favorite hero?
0: So here's the thing. I always love magic characters. Whenever I play a game where I have the choice, almost without fail, I will be a magic-wielding character. Your wizards, your mages, whatever they're called, sign me up. That's me. Um, now, in our D&D campaign, I decided to go a little differently. That's true. And I went with the... Paladin, which is not a typical class I play,
1: also has a lot of magic though. Still pretty magicy. It does have nice. some
0: magic, but more healing buff kind of magic right. rather than attack magic. Whereas that's what I really like is attack magic. So again, every Diablo game I've played, I'm always a magic character out of the box. Yeah, good. first and foremost. So again, even though he's weak as crap, I do love the wizard in this game. Probably my favorite. But I what I love about this game is that you really have to use them all together and be strategic about like the barbarian can go to the front lines as well as the dwarf. So we'll give them the best armor and the best weapons. Yeah, the elf's not great at some stuff, but oh, with a crossbow, the elf can from afar just obliterate stuff. And then the wizard, of course, is going to stand in the back and, and assist with the spells and all that kind of stuff. So I do love that as simplistic as the game is, the characters do balance out super well.
1: Yeah, I forget if you did the direct quote, but the game designer, Stephen Baker, said, the game is really aimed at 10 to 12 year olds who will play with their mums and dads. My feeling is that they play in a very competitive rather than cooperative way. And kind of like you said earlier, like, if you can coordinate, if you can deny your inner Leroy Jenkins and not just run into every room by yourself... If you cooperate, you can be awesome at this game and really like mow through it. But you really, it's hard to like, you want to collaborate, but you also need to not over meta gameplay and just be like, all right, we've talked about this for 30 seconds. Pencils down. Let's go. Who's doing what? Let's rock and roll.
0: We did ask the Bard, hey, who is your favorite hero?
3: And here's what the Bard had to say. There are many answers here, but which is true? Surely it's the dwarf, stout and mighty, symbolizing the wisdom of age and the endurance of the mountain. But no, it must be the barbarian, the signature hero of sword and sorcery, my favorite kind of fantasy. Ah, but what of the elf, a figure that encompasses might and magic, and the transcendent aspects of the immortals? Ah, but the mage, whose dominion is mystery and mysticism, a character whose thoughts have touched the unknowable. Do I have a favourite? This question used to be easy, but now I think the answer is no. But it's the dwarf.
0: I love that. He starts off so balanced, right? He's like, oh, look at the inherent benefits of each of these characters in their class. This used to be such an easy answer. It's more complicated now. But no, it's the dwarf.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel seen. I see my fellow dwarf lover. Oh, there you go, The dwarf is
0: awesome. I really do love the dwarf. Well, Ben, do you have any enemies that you really enjoyed in the game?
1: Christopher. You fought Uh, them all. You
0: bested them all. Who were some of your favorites?
1: I feel like it's a little too over home plate to say the Gargoyle. I mean, the Gargoyle is a really impressive piece. Beautiful. It is very cool. It looks really neat. Doesn't come out very often. So it's a big wow factor when it hits the table. Really scary. But the one who always like gave me the squigglies was the Famir. Mm. The Famir for some reason, like really freaked me out every time one of those big dudes came out. And I feel like they were a fight. Maybe it's storytelling. Like, you know, the goblins are cannon fodder. Orcs aren't that scary, but even when the skeletons come out, maybe it's like fantasy based and zombie where I see like, when I see skeleton and zombie, I'm like, oh, you're going to kill 8,000 of those in whatever movie or book or video game this is. I'm not so scared. You know, thematically mummies kind of stumble around. I've never in in my heart ever been scared by the idea of a mummy. I've never seen, once they do a World War Z, but with fast mummies, Mm. when we get 28 mummies later. Yeah. Then I'll be scared of mummies, but that doesn't really bother me. But so the Famir though, was this giant beast with one eye and had a club tail, but had that big, cool double head ax. And like, when that came out, it was the biggest model before like Chaos Warrior and Gargoyle. So you're like, this right. is giant. And it was, it was intimidating. It was scary. It was, it was, that was a good one.
0: Great looking piece. Really uh, awesome. That's apparently a Warhammer character from Oh, that from
1: the fantasy, fantasy line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because uh, femir is not a familiar term, and oh. that's why it's from that. It's not like – there's no famirs in like D&D, for instance, at least no. not – not to my understanding.
1: Does anything stick out for you? So I, I will say, be, I would do
0: little voices when we played because it was fun. I love doing the goblin voices because I put them on the board, so go, oh, no, 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 you know, just making these little almost like gremlin voices, like oh, we're gonna I just remember doing a bunch of ridiculous voices for that, and that was so much fun. That was great. I loved it. I mean, the gargoyle is very tempting because it looks amazing, but uh, those chaos warriors, man, are beasts. They're super cool. And here's the thing. And this is why I think this is my answer because there's only one gargoyle model in the game and the players know that. So when you drop a gargoyle, this is it. And again, a lucky genie shot or apparently a dwarf with a hefty, full reared back axe. Yes, watch out for that (laughs) little guy. He's feisty. Like that full body wind up that just like splits it in twain. You could knock that thing out. But there are four Chaos Warrior models in the game. And some of those quests
1: utilize all of them. Yeah, that was gnarly when a lot of those guys popped out. That was very scary. And
0: those guys are beasts too. Like they're not quite as strong, but they're pretty dang strong. I think they had like three hit points. So like some of the highest in the game. So I think I have to go with Chaos Warriors. They also just, they looked really cool. They looked very formidable. And yeah, I thought those were fantastic.
1: They are cool. The the practicality. I wish I had done some research on this, some history, but they've got like the Viking helmet, like the well, the incorrect Viking helmet of horns out both sides. But then the horns yeah. are connected with like a pearl, like yeah. a big pearl in the middle, and like that's a that's a design choice. Like who are you scaring with your little moon crown? Maybe that's part of the chaos. That's true. Maybe I would tweak his art a little bit to understand him a little better. What is the chaos? What is he a warrior of? I just want to understand a little better what I'm looking at.
0: Maybe you could take the chaos warrior shopping. We've already established you love Wait. purchasing armor. And you're just like, okay, look, it's time to update your style. It's a little off base. Come on, man. Oh
1: my God. It's a monster makeover. The goblin, and the orc's <laughs> like, take the chaos warrior. And it's like a classic Richard Gere, sort of pretty woman. He's trying on a bunch of things. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. It's great. This chaos warrior is full of order now with their style of and profiling. (laughs) It just comes out like
0: skinny jeans.
1: I want the Pretty Chaos Warrior expansion pack for Hero Quest if we can make that happen.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Extreme makeover. We're doing it.
1: So I've explained in very complicated terms what I would change about Hero Quest if I could. Is there anything Mm. I mean you you generally love this game. Is there anything that you would change whether to make things clear or improve it a little more? So I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, You probably know what one of these would be. Well, just not for me to be at the table next time you play, and just oh, Mrs. Ben and you never. That having is, a good time. Mrs. Ben will play all world. four characters.
0: I, I would just not, not change that for the world. We have such get a snacks fun time, together the for trio of us. You're going to be our servant. Bring us yes. more snacks. Refill our beers. No dice roll. You know, just some of the dependency on dice roll. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can forgive it in a game like this, but. You know, if there's a slightly improved mechanic for movement and combat, so it's less dependency on random chance, I'm always a fan of that. There are ways you can kind of do it. The only other thing I would say to change is, like, anything for replayability, but I feel like this game has a lot of that. Totally. So those are both things that are fixable. Like, you can do those. There are solutions that you can homebrew or download to fix. So like, as it stands, there's not really a whole lot I would change. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Do you think other HeroQuest experts agree with you? I think the Bard has some thoughts about what he would change in HeroQuest. Let's hear what he
3: has to say. Well, since you mention it secretly, just between us, there is something that has always bothered me about HeroQuest. The game doesn't come with enough goblins. How am I supposed to put one in every square with this paltry count? No wait, never mind that. I wouldn't change that. I'd change this. I would find a way to compel the designers to include even more cracking HeroQuest furniture. Now I'm serious about this. That furniture is legendary for a reason. When you play games like this these days, what do you mostly get? Plastic unpainted furniture that doesn't look good without a little bit of work but the HeroQuest furniture looks good instantly. Beautifully illustrated cardboard components, excellent solid old Citadel plastic components. These things come together to form model furniture that is surely immortal. I don't think I've seen furniture appear quite so often in other games on the tabletop as the HeroQuest furniture. It's wonderful, there's already plenty of it, but if I could change that one thing, I'd like a little more.
0: You know why? I almost said that. So much is good, I just want more. It's right, like I want more of an embarrass- <laughs> an embarrassment of riches. Like you've given us thirty-five characters, gimme twenty more. You've given me all of this amazing furniture. I want, you know, 17 more things in there. Just gimme, gimme, gimme
1: if we got more furniture, I think I would want more variety in the furniture because Mm. the the game, at least the levels that we played are already pretty claustrophobic in the rooms. Like even when you put one piece of furniture in the room, that takes up like a fourth of the room, but maybe some variety that you can swap thing out and maybe kind of like the the armor rack, different pieces of furniture. There may be things, there's like a wardrobe and you can open it and there's armor in there, like different pieces give you more stuff.
0: No, that's good. A little, just a little more variety, a little shake up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's three different bookcases. There's like two different tables, but yeah, if you had something else and I can't think off the top of my head what it could be, but that would be fun. Just something
1: different. Now you brought up a good point. You are the only person I know who has ever worked on inventing new board games. Did you ever make your own dungeons or your own quests with the stuff HeroQuest provided you? So other than when I was
0: in junior high and I mentioned that some friends and I kind of went off board and made up, it was more sort of open storytelling in the vein of D&D, but we utilized the characters to do that, but it was more story-based. Other than that, I don't think I ever made my own, actually. Yeah, surprisingly. But again, I think it speaks to the fact that I didn't get to play this game nearly as much as I wanted to. I didn't have... You know, we moved a lot or I didn't see my friends frequently enough. Because I moved a lot, I had friends who lived in different parts of southwestern Ohio, right? Right. And you maybe lived 20, 30, 45 minutes away from each other. And so you couldn't just like after school all go hang out at Nathan's house and we all play together or whatever. It was hard to like pull everyone together from these disparate areas. So that's, that was a challenge. Um, you know, even with my dad and I, you know, I saw him every other weekend, but you know, we didn't play every time we went over. We had other stuff to do. Right. So yeah, I think that's maybe why perhaps if I had gotten through all the quests, then it would be like,
1: okay, well now if I want more, I have to make more. Okay, great. All totally understandable points. Being that you've been exposed to a much bigger world of hero quests than I have, if I may, you know, coming from the same seed at Games Workshop, a huge part of Warhammer 40K is painting the models. Yeah. So there's like specific paints, like Citadel paints and other paints. And you get like a like a gemologist's little lens in your eye or you get a big oh, magnifying l- glass. A jeweler's eye. <laughs> jeweler's eye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you've got tiny little paintbrushes. And you have to use the focus and the patience of a Zen Buddhist. And you go through and you paint all these things. And they do look pretty amazing when you play the game on the table. You know, when one Googles Hero Quest, you see lots of painted sets that people have done on their own at the board game. Yeah. Did anyone in your circle ever express interest or carry through in starting to paint the figures from this game?
0: Well, I never had the interest. And I think right. it's easy to understand if you know me that my patience is near zero. <laughs> and so something of that fine of detail I could not do. I appreciate and admire anyone who can do that. Corey, for instance, my friend Corey, again, who's been on a couple episodes, does a lot of games with figures and, you know, um, I think he even does one that's like Star Wars, like uh, oh, okay. sh- like space battles. And I know he does paint a lot of figures. Uh, Aaron, who's been on the show, uh, he recently got the game Nemesis, which is Again, as we, I think, mentioned in our Alien episode, totally not the Nostromo. Totally Uh, not. (laughs) Totally not Xenomorphs. But I know he painted um, at least the alien enemy figures for that game, and they look fantastic. He did, like, a really cool kind of wash on those. So I've known friends who have done that. I have friends who have done minifig painting. I don't know anyone who's done it for this game specifically. All right, cool. But I don't think I knew anyone else who owned this game. That's the other thing. It's not like... Another friend had it and we like <laughs> doubled up the boards and made like a mega dungeon, right? I was the only person I knew who had Hero Quest.
1: Oh, that's cool. I, w- I would have been curious about that. All right, you're the only one. No one else had it. Yeah, because I, I don't think it was that popular of
0: a game. And like, obviously, you know, it's got a cult following. There's a lot of people who love it, but like it wasn't a standard game on the shelf like a lot of these other games we've been talking about. I would say it's even rarer than Fireball Island. Uh, Another one we love to bring up because it's just amazing. But yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like when it came out, I tried to read reviews and the reviews were kind of split when it came out. It wasn't like some big sensation when HeroQuest hit the shelf, but it also wasn't a flop. Right. Philip Murphy, who wrote for Games International in August 89, said, quote, It plays simply but effectively. And he noted a bunch of flaws that were easy to take advantage of if you knew how to do it. Mm. He only gave it three and a half out of five stars. And here's here's a heart puncher. He says, Hero Quest is a good game waiting to be a great one. I think it's pretty great. I like Hero Quest. I thought it was a good game. And I have one more review that's too long to read, but it's basically very like on the fence. Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect game. On the
0: other hand, because of the way it's designed, you can easily tweak. I mean, you can do house rules for tons of games, right? But... Much in the vein of D&D, you can make it as complex or as easy as you want it to be. You can make it whatever you want, depending on the group you're playing with. And it's like, yeah, if you're a Dungeon Master parent and you've got, you know, three kids of yours who are playing or, you know, kids and friends, like it's it's very adaptable, I think yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And so I think that's what's really cool about it. But is that the best thing about Hero Quest? That is our final question. Listen... He made an entire video about the best thing about HeroQuest, and we couldn't get away from our interview correspondence from the U.S. to Australia, round the globe. We asked him, okay, tough question. What actually is the best thing about HeroQuest? We tried to pin him down. He's, he said 20 things. Can we get him to say one? And he had the,
3: the best answer ever, and here we go. You dare ask that of me? I, who have walked through thunder and fire to dream the merest wisp of an answer to that eternal question. What is the finest facet of a diamond? What is the sweetest song of the stars? Look at the game. Put it in front of you and play it. Whatever you behold, whatever you sense and feel, whatever magic springs to life between you and the board that is the best thing about hero quest. Or maybe it's the box art. Stupid eternal questions are as bad as these wispy non answers. Oh, whatever. And now I'm off for the call to adventure is on the wind. And I believe there's goblins in every square of my garden. Again.
0: He's not wrong. This is great. Again, no one can weave a narrative quite like the bard, true to his name, true to his profession, plain to his skill set. That was a beautiful response, but I always love that he ends everything also with something pragmatic. The beauty is what you bring to it, but also the box art. But also, let's, <laughs> it's the box <bunker>. <laughs>
1: art. Awesome. And he's right. I mean, it is awesome, especially when you set it up against like all of its contemporaries at the time. It is awesome. Oh, it's so great. Ben, what do you think is the best thing about HeroQuest? Ooh, how dare you? Um, that it's a fantasy-based cooperative game we'll mm. talk more contemporary culture i love cooperative games but yeah. uh, i don't have any others that are set in like this sort of like classic fantasy medieval world so that's kind of fun
0: you're right a lot of them are either like contemporary or you've got a lot of sci-fi
1: a lot or, of sci-fi yeah you know
0: i guess zombie side is maybe the closest but again it's contemporary you know it's right you know, kind of modern day versus i guess there is the old um the kind of Black Plague era ones, right? That, that one's
1: awesome. That's a, really a little more one.
0: fantasy based, but you're right. There's not a, there's not a ton in that vein, so that's great. Are you able to pick a best thing? You know, um, the best thing is that it exists, right? <laughs> it's fun to experience. It fosters creativity. It leaves players with all these hilarious and epic stories to tell and retell over the years. So, like, the best thing about it is that it exists, and you know, I got to
1: experience it, and I have all these cool memories. That's nice. my answer. That's pretty good. Answer. I guess that is the best thing. That is pretty good. Yeah. Before we run out of this class, I did have a question. Okay. That we never got to use in our game. What were the mind points all about? The mind points, if
0: I recall correctly, this is a pop quiz. So let me answer off the cuff. Pop quiz. I'm not fact checking everybody. So so Jerry, just lay off if I get this wrong. Jerry. I believe the mind points were there were certain chaos spells that you could best Zargon or the spellcaster if your mind points were high enough. So basically, oh, okay. it was sort of like a, you could outwit the opponent and not fall victim to their spell. Uh, whether it's like putting you to sleep or their maybe, I think there's even one where you could control the good guys and like attack oh, their, their fellows.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And basically, you know, the hit points and the mind points were kind of the reverse, right? So the wizard was really smart, but weak. The barbarian, kind of stupid but very strong, and <laughs> you know,
1: stupid.
0: And, and of course, in between, so like the curves kind of went, you know, sure. opposites. Okay, but yeah, so I think the whole idea was like it would be easier to say put the barbarian into a sleepy spell versus, and I don't remember if you resolved that with dice or if it was just like a threshold you had to meet. Yeah. But yeah, the mind points didn't come in to play very often. It was oh, very, very infrequent. Okay. And I probably didn't get to use this spell because I got one shot killed by fricking Elfie or whoever it was who just like murdered me from across a room. You gotta watch so. out. <laughs> that crossbow, total killer. So that's why you didn't get to experience that because I was like, I've got all these spells and I just got an arrow in my brain. It's over, sorry bud. The one thing I do wanna end chemistry with is a fantastic website called ye Old N. Yield In is basically your resource for all things classic Hero Quest. They have elements, cards, things that you can download. You can find PDFs of the quest books, all the things. You can see the descriptions of the different expansions. Maybe you're like, Wait, frozen horror? What is it? Is it a, you know, an ancient monster that's been buried and you unearth it in the ice? What is it? Is it some Lovecraftian horror?
1: <laughs> well,
0: guess what? You can go see what the figures are and all the things, or you could download it and play with your friends even. So ye old we'll link it in the show description, but definitely a fantastic resource to just go find all things classic hero quest.
1: Perfect. Go get on it. Be a part of the action.
0: Okay, this was a lot, Ben. I feel like we just finished a huge quest and I'm gonna need some mead and mutton. Ooh, good choices. Before I stroll into the armory with this here clutch purse stuffed with 500 gold to see if I can buy my very own battle ax. What say we head to the cafeteria to restore our body points and meet back in contemporary culture to see whatever became of this Game system. I'm sorry, this game. Game, game, this board game. game, game oh, God. This tabletop game. I violated the rules.
1: It sounds great. I'm going to take a piggyback ride on this Chaos Warrior down to the cafeteria. Newly fashionable <laughs> Chaos Warrior. <laughs> uh, and I'll meet you back here in contemporary culture.
0: Excellent.
3: Hero Quest. Deep inside another dimension, face battling barbarians and evil magic on a quest for adventure in a maze of monsters. This is Hero Quest, the fantasy adventure game where winning means mastering the arts of combat. I'll use my broadsword And magic. Fire of wrath. Once you get into it, you'll never be the same. Hero Quest. Now with two new adventure packs, the legend grows.
0: Beware and warning! This book is different from other books. You and you alone are in charge of what
1: happens in this story. If that brings back childhood memories of reading past your bedtime and keeping your fingers positioned just so in order to go back and cheat death, then you are part of the Choose Your Own Adventure generation, the fourth best-selling children's book series of all time. Since 2006, Choose Your Own Adventure has relaunched
0: copies of original 80s bestsellers as well as all new books, tabletop
1: games, and graphic novel adaptations of the famous gamebook series. If you decide to use all of your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence to introduce interactive gamebooks to a new generation, visit CYOA.com. Use code 80 high for 20% off your first order. That's code 80 high.
0: Oh, man. I always smile when I remember we're being supported this season by Choose Your Own Adventure. That is amazing, everybody. Go buy the things. Go create your own adventures.
1: Then go play some HeroQuest. It's amazing. And their commercial just reminded me that we have a giveaway with them this week. Oh, uh, what? We, in honor of our HeroQuest board game podcast, are giving away a package of Choose Your Own Adventure gear on Instagram, this week. So, go to Instagram, 80s high podcast, look for the post about the giveaway with Choose Your Own Adventure and Hero Quest, do what you need to do to enter, and we'll get you a prize shipped out your way if you're the one lucky winner. That is amazing. That's easier than
0: going through an entire dungeon to find <laughs> Ulog and slay the Orc King. You're just going to Instagram. That's it. And you're finding a post and you're following the directions. That's like, it couldn't be, that's the easiest quest ever.
1: Literally get in the game. We just invited you. Chris is the dungeon master. Come on in, be a part of the action. Oh, that's amazing. Oh man, so we're here in
0: contemporary culture. There's a lot to talk about here. I'm going to breeze past a couple things because we need to get to the main event. So there are three hero quest novels that are released they're written by Dave Morris, published between 1991 and 1993. Those are The Fellowship of the Four, The Screaming Specter, and The Tyrant's Tomb. Now, I've not read any of these, but I think you can actually find them in full PDF, uh, legally, on the webs. So if you're curious, you like the game, and you wanna read some stories set in the universe, you got three official novels there, thanks to Dave Morris. Nice. There are also tons of PC games, PC game creations that are out there. Some of them people have done where they have basically kind of like when we play Rule 20 online, Ben, where we're like playing D&D together uh, through an online portal. You can kind of do that. You can also design the games, you know, rather than like draw on a piece of paper, you can actually like do the design stuff. Oh, that's cool. There's tons of those. They're actually at Old that website I talked about. There's a whole section on PC games. A lot of these are fan created. There was an official game that was released on the PC. There were plans to release it on Nintendo, but it never really got past like the early stages. Okay. So
1: those are out there.
0: But I want to get to the, the main event. Ben, do you have anything else in contemporary culture before we get to the Big Kahuna?
1: Well, I think I know what it is, but can I help set the stage for the Big Kahuna about to happen?
0: Yeah, let's, let's dive right into it, please.
1: Okay, so in 1997, Milton Bradley let the trademark lapse on HeroQuest, yeah. uh, which then got purchased by Isseries Inc. or Issaries. They used the same system, but not for HeroQuest. They just made up a new game, but the same system. And in 2013, Moon Design Publications bought it from Isseries and did the same thing. They also used it, the same mechanics. They're like, this game is perfect. Except for the whole fantasy part that's super awesome and sweet. Let's get rid of that and just use the mechanic. And then they sold it back to Milton Bradley in 2020. So it just went around the world for 13 years for all these different odors. Nobody really picked it up. And of course, Milton Bradley doesn't technically exist anymore. It is Hasbro Gaming. Right. Thank you. And that was purchased under the leadership of Jeffrey Anderson, who closed that deal. So that brings us up to the moment when the world is like, wait a minute. Hasbro, once Milton, now once again, has the rights to HeroQuest in their gauntlet. What are they going to do about it?
0: Bro. Bro, what has you done? Did <laughs> <Get> it? Hasbro? <laughs>
1: it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's Hasbro. It's good. And what is that thing, Ben? What happens? So immediately launches a teaser website with the Hero Quest logo art and a countdown timer, which you can go to our friend the Bard, Bardic broadcast on YouTube, and he's actually got a YouTube video up of when this teaser website popped up. and he's got all he's got a great like, I forget what it is, the top ten things that will come out in the re-release of Hero Quest or whatever. He makes some predictions about what will. Be
0: changed, or what'll be different about it? And he actually gets some of them like spot on.
1: No, he's very good. I mean, he is the expert on Hero Quest on YouTube. He's yeah. got it. And on September 22nd, 2020, the website changes to reveal that they're starting a crowdfunding campaign to try and raise a million bucks so they can release updated versions of Hero Quest, Keller's Keep, and Return of the Witch Lord. I think we talked about
0: this yeah. way back in either our classic 80s board game episode. I don't think we would have talked about this during our Battleship episode, but I think in that one, we mentioned that this game was coming back
1: out. And three years later, almost to the day, they've only raised a buck fifty.
0: No, how did it go? How did the fan fundraising go? I believe they made a million dollars within 24 hours. They did. Now I could not find, strange as this is, you can't find the campaign anymore. So normally like on Kickstarter, you can go back and see old campaigns. You can see all the tiers and the goals. You can see all the things. I think Hasbro has taken that down. I couldn't find it. In fact, I couldn't really see anything that confirmed exactly how much money they raised in pledges. The highest amount I could find is 3.7 million dollars. Did wow. you see any other dollar amount?
1: No, that's fantastic. That's great. okay. So
0: they almost four times over met their goal. So I think it's fair to say any stretch goals that they had laid out blasted through those as well. So to say it was a success is um very understated. Yeah, a thousand percent. Now a lot of people were like hey is this going to be, you know, an update? Are you changing the rules? Are you changing stuff about the game? And they were pretty explicit in the campaign. This is like a reproduction. We're not doing a lot of things different. There's just a couple things we are gonna change up, which is all the artwork for the cards, all the assets, the box art, and the minis are going to be a little bit different. Yeah, the minis definitely changed. So let's talk about some of those differences. Just, you know, we don't have to dwell on them, but just a little bit. So those plastic cardboard furniture hybrids are replaced by all plastic. Yeah. So solid piece, you no longer have the cardboard elements. Uh, They're monocolor, but you know, if you are a skilled minifig painter, you could go in and design them yourselves, but you don't off the shelf get the cool intricate designs on all of these furniture pieces.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've definitely changed the enemies a lot. Like, all the minifigs for the enemies are extremely detailed, and the design is completely changed. And I've got to admit, I mean, I'm only looking at pictures online.
0: Well, as, like the heroes as well. Like, all of the figures, the designs right, are right, right, right. a little different.
1: But I actually really like the redesign on the enemy minifigs. I think they look cool from what I can see art-wise. So the heroes have also changed a lot. And that will probably really, really, really upset a lot of fans of Hero Quest because they're Do different. Do you think so? Yeah, I think, you know, you use your minifig a lot. That is very intimate to you, whereas you're just killing the enemies out there left and right. And so if you are really passionate about the dwarf, the dwarf looks like it's from an entirely different game, entirely unrelated to Hero Quest. When I look at these figures, and I think it could... It could flip you off, but I don't think anyone's gonna mind the enemies. That's an interesting take. I feel like if
0: everything was just the same, people would be like, what am I paying for? I think the fact that they do update them and modernize them a little bit is actually a benefit. I could be wrong. I mean, and obviously people could run the gamut on their responses, right? Some people are gonna love it, some people are not gonna like it, or there's gonna be mixed emotions. Right. Um, another big thing, so the Femir, as I mentioned, was based on a Warhammer character. Games Workshop is not involved in this reproduction, so they actually completely replaced that character with the Abomination. Whoa, that's cool. If you look at this character, it's basically kind of like a Lovecraftian fishman monster. It looks cool, but very different and feels a little bit separate from... You kind of felt like the Goblin, Orc, famir were all in the same kind of range of characters. And the the Abomination feels a little bit different.
1: Yeah, they look like they're from an aquatic game. And there's no water besides like dripping leaky pipes in the dungeons.
0: Yeah, so a little bit of a a choice there. Um, For some reason, they've changed all the chaos to dread. So they're not chaos spells, they're dread spells. Interesting. Same with the warrior. It's now the dread warrior. Not 100% sure why they did that, uh, but they did. Apparently the minis are slightly larger. As you mentioned, Ben, they're more detailed. It's a different material than the original ones. I think it's to be a little sturdier. You know, some of the pieces over time could potentially snap, but the new pieces are just a little bit more uh, of a hardy substance. So hopefully they have a bit more longevity. Yeah, yeah. The board artwork is updated. It's very much the same kind of look on the box art in terms of the scene, but the style is very different. And the Bard actually called this in the email you mentioned, it's less realistic. And he's 100% oh, interesting. right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. slightly more cartoonish than the original. I think it looks nice. I think it looks clean, it looks modern. Again, it's bright, it's way better than that Advanced Hero Quest box <laughs> art that we did oh, not love. Oh yeah, that love. was so weird. You see this box, you know it's Hero Quest. if you're familiar, but I agree the original artwork I liked a little bit more. But I will say everything looks beautiful because they've updated all of it and it looks great. They did not skimp. They did not cheap out. You could tell there was a lot of love and care that went into this reprint. It's not a pure money grab of like, we'll just put everything back on the assembly line as it was. Right. And retail for $135. Ouch. It's pricey, everybody. But again, to get that many figures and pieces and stuff, that's a that's a lot of production value. A lot of things would be cardboard or like those wood pieces. And even wood pieces can be really expensive. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, you're, you're going to pay. You're going to pay. The character cards are now normal size. So they kind of fit in with the deck and any of the little- Oh, like, I thought the cards
1: were kind of fun.
0: Yeah, because they were kind of like, what would you say? They're like five by five? Yeah, like sure. Like cardboard cards or something yeah. like that? They've replaced those with the actual you know regular card size which I, I get it makes sense sure. like you don't refer to that very much particularly after you start filling out your character sheet so it makes sense especially for how they like to do a lot of inserts for um, storage in boxes now which is nice that armory box riser is gone and now all of those cards from the armory are also regular playing card size. Huh, okay. So you don't have the the giant shopping board <laughs> it's now. But the cool thing is then you could pick that card up and keep it with your character. So if like oh, I had the battle axe, I could pick it up and I can put it with, you know, my dwarf or something. Uh, they did change the elf, I think officially to a female character. Another call that the bard made in that video. And the bases on the characters, the the figures are round instead of rectangular. And that's mostly that whatever direction they're facing, it's less collision, I guess you could say. To that end, with everything being slightly larger, I believe that the board is also a little bit bigger. But if you look at it, it's almost an exact replica of the original board, which I think is cool. I like that they kind of kept that visually the same and then just updated some other elements. So you've got that nice little anchor and it's also like a quad fold board rather than the, you know, just just fold in half, which is pretty typical. So as a result, the the box itself is a different form factor than it used to be.
1: That helps if you're going on a plane and you want to put your neighbor's tray table down too. (laughs) You want to unfold the whole thing while you travel. It's really great. It's very convenient. (laughs) Absolutely. Another cool thing they released is a companion
0: app that you can download for free. This can either aid the Zargon player and kind of just shorthand some of Zargon stuff, or apparently the app can play as Zargon, so that like oh. let's say Ben, you and I want to play, or we want to play with you know Mrs. Ben, but like we all want to experience the Witch Lord one. Is Zargon could be automated for us. I don't know exactly how that works, but huh, that's kind of great. cool. That'd be interesting. Yeah. That way everybody gets to experience the hero part and not be spoiled on, you know, some of the, the right. quests and whatnot. As you mentioned, as part of the initial Kickstarter, they re released Keller's Keep and Return of the Witch Lord. If you didn't back it, then you can purchase those as separate expansions now. They also brought back Mage of the Mirror and the Frozen Horror. And they've added a new expansion on March 27th, 2023. They announced a new expansion, Rise of the Dread Moon. Rise so, this is the first the brand moon. new content that they've released. So, Avalon Hill revealed that July 15th, 2023, is its inaugural Hero Quest Day. So, hey. everybody, oh, really? mark That's your great. calendars 2024, July 15th, Hero Quest Day, part two. Electric Boogaloo, going to be amazing. And this calling of Hero Quest Day also coincided with the launch or release of Rise of the Dread Moon, the first new expansion in thirty years. So again, they're kind of going all in. It's not just like, hey, we'll reproduce everything, make some cash off a bunch of like forty-something nerds who want to relive their childhood, call it good, <laughs> and we'll we'll funnel this you know money into something else. They're really committed to it. So the hope now is that they'll release some of the other old expansions that haven't been released yet, like Ogre Horde.
1: I mean, that's whole thing. Like, even trying to find these now, like, the original version, it's probably all on eBay. And even then, like, stuff's going to be ripped or broken or, like, missing a couple models. So, like, if you want to replay those old games but you don't still have everything in your collection, these releases might be the only way... To play Hero Quest again in the ex- in the expansions,
0: yeah, and you'll probably pay a premium because I don't think there were tons of them released, right? So it's like no, you're gonna right.
1: pay a lot, and they may not be
0: in the best shape. You're kind of limited by what's out there and who's selling them. Uh, Wizards of Morcar was the other one, which I'll be curious what they rename that because I don't know if they actually maintain Morcar if they just went with Zargon for all of it. Oh,
1: right, for the re-release of everything.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that is kind of up to where we are. They also have released a lot of different like online content. They've released different hero characters either through those stretch goals or through character packs. So I think they've introduced also a halfling warlock, a druid, an orc bard, a rogue error, and a monk. My goodness, they're really like expanding the hero cast. No longer are you stuck with these four. And then apparently there's some that they're releasing with a male and female version. And those characters actually have different abilities and stats. So even though it's like, oh, it's a male elf and a female elf. Well, they have different skills or abilities based on which one you choose. So they're really kind of fleshing out a lot of the world and the characters. And I don't know, I think it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. You'll pay a penny for it. But, you know, it's cool stuff. Again, good quality.
1: Just like to play a round of Hero Quest, if you and your friends team up, each one of you can buy one of the expansions and together you can have a full set of Hero HeroQuest to play again.
0: Well, and here's the thing. If you are like me and you have the old game, I think you could buy a new expansion and play it That'd with be cool. the old set. That would set. be great. The better. I don't see why you couldn't. The characters are maybe slightly different in size, but like I wouldn't necessarily want to go out and repurchase the game. But those extra expansions I don't have, Yeah, I would certainly look into buying those and playing them with my old system. I think it would work out just fine. And uh, that way, you could again. If you have the old one, you've run through all of the expansions you have so far. There's more content to add in, and yeah, right to our desire for more replayability, more content. Oh, I want more! More. The Baruka Salt in all of us has been assuaged by Hasbro re-releasing this game and tons of expansions. It's so cool. So that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to see this is happening. I will say, I've been to several different local board game shops and i have seen hero quest or some of the expansions on the shelves
1: oh cool Good, which is super cool super it's wild. very encouraging yeah
0: i think that's contemporary culture unless there's anything else we missed ben
1: well these games have influenced a lot so i would love to kind of go through some of those that would oh be great please
0: yes what, what you got
1: so jonathan ying who is a fantasy flight designer for the star wars board game okay Ying compares Hero Quest's influence on modern dungeon-crawling board games to the way Magic the Gathering paved the way for the popularity of other card games like it. Yeah, like
0: other deck builders, right?
1: Exactly. He says, like, the core structure of it has permeated the culture to a point where you can even see its influence in games like Clank or Burgle Bros., and of course, modern behemoths like Gloomhaven. Have you ever heard of Gloomhaven? Have you seen Gloomhaven? Oh, I've Gloomhaven? seen that massive, yes. ginormous crate.
0: It's not even a box, everybody. Do you remember the crate that the father in Christmas Story gets his major reward in? <laughs> French that, Look for that in your local game board shop. That is Gloomhaven. And I there's even Frosthaven. There's like another one. Yes. Which they're yeah. like, why have one crate in your living room when you can have two crates? In your living room. The great news is the box also doubles as the table you play on. So, you know, it kind of works out. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is exactly. the most insane box I have ever seen for a game.
1: So, And I've never gotten to play it. I've only seen the box. I don't know anyone who has the game. It's a massive... It's a $200 board game. It's huge. Yeah. It's sort of like the same idea of like HeroQuest. There's a game in a box with adventures. But the, the inventor feels the same way as far as the inventor of the Star Wars board game. Mm. And, uh, so Isaac Childress, the designer of Gloomhaven, says, quote, Gloomhaven was for sure inspired by other dungeon crawlers, namely Descent and Mice and Mystics, which I'm sure were in turn inspired by HeroQuest. Mm. So he's looking back at the OG. He's like, yes, Gloomhaven was inspired by Descent and Mice and Mystics, but he knows if, if you played HeroQuest, you know that game's DNA is in Descent and Mice and Mystics, right. like the halfway step to HeroQuest.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Board Game Geek put up a great article that's a quick list of board games that have been inspired by HeroQuest that mm. you can go play. So if you like HeroQuest, you want to go mix it up, play other things like it. Here's Board Game Geek's top list. I'm not going to go through all these because it's sort of like an infinite list that keeps going. Ooh, ooh. I have my hand raised. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, okay. You, uh, classmate Christopher. Is Zombie Site on that list? It is not interesting. Okay. I would think that it should be. Yeah, um, but at least on the first page here, it is not. All right. Well, what is on the list? So the top ten for scratching that hero quest itch. Number one is Hero Quest, <laughs> it as voted by itself. the community. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I haven't played or heard of any of these other games, mm. um, but other people might have. Sword and Sorcery, Alter Quest. Dungeon Saga, colon, Dwarf King's Quest. Descent, colon, Journeys in the Dark. Massive Darkness. Dungeons and Dragons, colon, The Legend of Drizzt. Number eight, Darklight, Memento Mori. Number nine, Warhammer Quest, Shadows of Hammer All. And the last one, Warhammer Quest, Silver Tower.
0: Yeah, I've heard of zero of those things.
1: Right? I've never heard of those. But according to the, the robust community at Board Game Geek, Those are the top 10 games like HeroQuest if you want to play more HeroQuest. Okay. Or just
0: follow the Bard's advice and buy multiple boxes of HeroQuest and stack them on top of
1: each other. (laughs) Just buy 10 boxes of HeroQuest. But that's all I have for the modern influence and the legacy and the story of HeroQuest today.
0: Amazing. Well, Ben, I've done the math. I am going to apply for a small loan so that i can purchase all of these expansions <laughs> i don't have so
1: far. Fantastic.
0: But that everyone is a Chris problem. The real math equation, the real problem to solve can only be found in our final class, where we add up how hero quest holds up today. Look, i think that gargoyle in the hall is just a statue, right?
1: Uh, right? Uh, right?
0: It should be fine to just just sneak past quietly, quiet. Ah, everyone Ben didn't make it. It wasn't just a statue of gargoyle. But you know what? You don't have to outrun a bear, you just have to outrun the slowest person in your group. and that, of course... Is why you never play the dwarf.
1: I appreciate you podcast like you, Zargon, and you don't ascribe to <laughs> permadeath and you let us come back <laughs> when right. mistakes are made. That's right. Thank you for that.
0: You did perish, but I decided to, you know, okay, we're going to be a little easier on you because I need to know. It's unclear at this point. If you think Hero Quest holds up today in 2023, and if so, how it holds up. So Ben, Ooh. what say you, sir? What is your assessment?
1: I wish I could just play the best thing about hero quest video from the bard (laughs) because he makes all the great points of like why it is such a great game it is relatively straightforward it's pretty easy to learn and pick up it is authentically fun it is a fun game it is an adventurous game it's exciting to go through the quest and see what you'll face uh i love shopping in hero quest not in real life but in hero (sighs) quest but right like it's that exciting moment at the end when you get to upgrade if you've played Hero Quest a lot, this level of excitement is gone, but your first playthrough when new enemies are coming out, that's exciting and terrifying the mm. first time. A mummy comes out or a zombie comes out. What now? Right. I guess it also relies largely on having a good DM, a good Zargon to keep it fun. But I don't see a lot of people playing this game not getting into it. So I think you'll always have like a Zargon who's excited to be a Zargon. I love how different the enemies are. They don't just look different, but they all have, like, different power and different attacks and different movement, which make them interesting. I love how different the four heroes are. Of course, I always like a big board game group together. So, like, if there was an expansion where two more people could play along with the four core heroes, that would be even better, but not necessary. I think the only two things I can think of with the board game... I mean, one, cooperative board games are my favorite. I love when we all get together, play a board game towards a central mission. So... You know, Dead of Winter is one of my very favorite games. Mm. Forbidden Desert is a lot of fun I enjoy. Betrayal at House mm-hmm. of Haunted Hill. You mentioned Zombicide, so I love the reskin of Zombicide in the 1980s Ghostbusters look. Those are all great. So I love that this is a cooperative game in a fantasy setting. Like I just like the story and, and the mechanics of working together. That's great. I think the only thing that doesn't hold up is society. Society is is what's broken from 1989. In that to play Hero Quest correctly, you need five people. And not just five people, but five people who can get back together for like two hours if you only play one thing fourteen times. How hard is it just to go have coffee with your best friend? So to like really get a group of people together to play through this, you know, you did a great job of of me and Mrs. Ben each of us played two characters, and that's how we got through. But even us we couldn't right. find four players plus a dm to play through right. 14 and i just wish it's just like our problem we have with dungeons and dragons these days i wish i could find a small squad who could commit to finishing this whole thing together um you know there's so much i want to see in it but i need more friends or sadly an app to get me through the whole thing but besides right. that this game rocks it is awesome i will always say yes anytime Someone says they want to play Hero Quest. And uh, thanks for being our dungeon master and taking us through it. That was quite a gift. It was quite a pleasure. Thank you for that.
0: Oh, man, it was so much fun. I dare say, Ben, the best thing about Hero Quest is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Get out of here, oh, my God. It's perfect. It's true, though. Uh, I mean, you know, speaking from experience, this game is still a lot of fun to play as an adult today, right? Like, we just went through this. Together, there's not a lot of things that we get to experience together that we've done on this show. Like we'll both go and separately do the thing and come back or we both have our childhood memories of the thing. But it's kind of a rarity that it's something that we get to experience, especially on this scale. This is ours, right? That's true. And probably easily 14 hours that we spent together on this particular thing, which is super cool. And we had so much fun. And we're adults. It does still hold up, I think. Yeah. And listen, there's a place in your library for different kinds of games. And sometimes, as we've mentioned, the fun comes from the simplicity and not staring cross eyed at a rule book for six hours like you're studying for pre algebra. I'm looking at you, Alien versus Predator. <laughs> so true. Oh my God. It was a fantastic game, but my God, my head hurt after reading the rule book. Ugh. But yeah, this game is packed with fun table talk. You can introduce role-playing, there's character building, gasps of surprise, cheers of victory, groans of crushing defeat, and heroes be shopping! Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But the fun thing about shopping that we haven't talked about is like... You had something now to look forward to in the next mission. You're like, oh right. my god, I finally got How that. How good is it? What does it really do? I got yeah. a long sword. I get to roll an extra attack and an attack diagonally. Game changer. And so that was just so much fun. You can crack out a quest in roughly an hour, making yeah, it easy good. for either back-to-back marathons or a semi-regular group to come together and play, kind of like we did. Um, The expansions add even more fun story and gameplay elements. And with this recent re-release, even more expansions are either back in print or new adventures being added, more characters and character classes to choose from. Again, literally a choose-your-own-adventure of dungeon-crawling, daring-do. Ooh, well done. Yeah. Any of the dated elements, you know, we didn't touch on this too much, but like all the characters are male in the original game. But we as adults looked at it and we we're like, well, let's just change this. And it's true. We did. You know, the, the rules are written and he, him, and those kinds of things. And we just changed it up. You mentioned you're like, I want the barbarian to be female. And I think Mrs. Ben was like, the elf is gender neutral and identifies as they, them. And we're like, awesome. You know, like, you can just do all of that, right? Right. You're not breaking the game. Yeah. So you can undo a lot of the elements that maybe don't hold up because the game is open-ended. and. You're already asking the players to create their own names for their characters, even identities if they want to. Backstories, uh, voices, war cries, whatever you desire. <laughs> you can do that because this is a role-playing game. It's not required, but it's all in like D&D. You can play D&D without doing a lot of like the character stuff or you can totally get into it. That's great. And then you factor in that empty map and all these internet tools where you can download and print and play online. And again, that replayability that I want, it's already really there basically. Both the original and updated artwork I think is beautiful. I think it's striking. The production value is top notch for the original print as well as the re-release. You see the love and care that went in all the choices that were made by the designers. You know, the base game does retail for a pretty steep price. At least you're getting a quality product with a lot of cool stuff, but it's pricey. It's not for everybody. Especially as Ben mentioned, if you can't get a group together, $35, that's a lot. Considering you could probably buy like three or four other tabletop games for that same price tag.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: all of that being said, the best thing about HeroQuest is sharing the experience with family and with friends.
1: Yeah, the
0: best. Oh, and that genie spell. I mean, five combat dice.
1: Are you kidding me? It's super good. It crushes.
0: Ben, I am so excited that not only we got to talk about this topic that clearly I love so much, but that, again, you and I and Mrs. Ben got to experience this game together. So many fun memories. It was fun to relive them in this episode. Thank you so much for, for doing that and for uh, being here to talk about it in this episode. I'm so excited.
1: Absolutely. Fantastic pick. Thank you for exposing us to the world of Hero Quest. Thank you to the Bard. For joining us and lending his iconic voice and his expertise on this wonderful game. Thank you for everything so much. You, sir, are a genius. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very
0: generous. A generous genius. A generous
1: genius. He's the best
0: thing about Australian-based heroes. The fart is the best thing about quest. Oh, my God.
1: And just a reminder, listeners, go to Instagram. Go now. If you just heard this, if it's not too late, if this episode came out in the last two weeks, you probably still have a chance. Go enter, uh, and we've got a giveaway from Choose Your Own Adventure up there for you to just, you know, we're getting into the wintertime, the cold time. Maybe it'll be part of your costume for Halloween. Maybe it's a Ooh. holiday gift you could give away. Who knows what it's going to be, but go mm-hmm. be a part of the action. Join us, 80s High Podcast, on Instagram.
0: Beautiful. The only thing that would make this episode amazing is a little teaser of what our next episode is. I'm very excited about this, Ben. We know all the topics for this season, which is not how we've done this show before. We're doing a a short season. We talked about it in our Watchmen episode. Cut to the chase. I need to know, our listeners need to know, what is the reveal for the next
1: episode? Ah, the chase. I'm so glad you put it as the chase. Oh. Uh, I'm very excited. It is the season, one of my favorite seasons of the year. Mm. Halloween season is upon us, so we needed to choose something fitting. Yes. For Halloween. Mm Mm-hmm. So in this episode, we're going some directions. We're going to the beginning of the decade, rather than 1989's Hero Quest. We're going to the summer of 1982, but it's not going to be a warm summer.
3: Oh, no, it won't.
1: It's not going to be a cruel summer, but it'll be a cool summer. A very cold... Cold, (laughs) frigid. Cold, (laughs) freaking cold summer. Oh. Because we're going to the bottom of the earth in Antarctica to find out... Whatever happened to those researchers stuck at the base? You know, those motley crew of Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, Uh, Keith David and more. uh, And that horrifying classic from John Carpenter, The Thing. The Thing! Oh
0: my goodness. I want to start talking about it now, but we have to not. I have to contain myself. have to put myself in an icy box and stay there for a long time at least until the (laughs) next episode absolutely this is amazing i love halloween as well i'm so excited we get to talk about this and uh to
1: hear all of the excitement and more i guess you have to listen to the next episode right ben you will so bundle up and trust no one until you join us once again on the next episode of 80s high (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for
0: listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.